swing to it. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. You're here for the pre-show. That's right, it's 6.55 p.m. on the East Coast and the recording and the streaming, the broadcasting has begun. So let us archive yet another night together on Quite Frankly. And in a little bit, we will just uh, jump right into it with tonight's guest. What are we going to be talking about on this Thursday evening, December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, 2023. Another day we were told never to forget. And before that, we were told never to forget the Alamo. Um, Well, tonight we're going to be talking with Ashton Forbes. And Ashton is a citizen journalist who... um, who's been doing some really interesting work for a while now on the follow-up to the Malaysian Flight 370 mystery. That for most of us in the public, if you're, especially if you're not a, um, a, a family member of somebody who went missing that day, because I can't say that you were destroyed, you just disappeared. Unless you are related to somebody on the plane, this is a, this is a story over the last nearly 10 years, because it happened in 2014, that kind of faded to the back of our minds, or away altogether and tonight we are going to talk about how the mystery has only deepened since then um and it's taken some crazy turns it's led researchers toward bigger questions about even the nature of reality high technology and unidentified flying objects so we're going to have ashton forbes on with us tonight it's going to be pretty intense because he's been doing a lot of work. He's been on some of the the biggest shows on the internet uh, in the last couple of months. And tonight he is gonna be on with us. And at times I told him, listen, you just take control of the screen, share screens and show people what you want. Because there's a lot of satellite footage. I'm gonna, I'll set the table a little bit more, but there's satellite footage we're going to take a look at. There's a lot going on here. And uh, I think you're going to, you're gonna see if you haven't seen already, just how odd and how big of a story this really is and how big the questions attached to the story really is. So, uh, and I have, of course, in the half hour that we have left, because I think he'll probably be on with us until about 8.30, I, I can't wait to hear what comes from you guys and gals in the audience, as that is always just the cherry on top. Last night's show was incredible with Ben Davidson, and uh, Davidson was great. And I hope to have him on again one day. And I still have to get through all the emails that came in over that. It was a really busy day today. And uh, tomorrow, I think I should be able to get through all of the inboxes and and fully, fully address, address a lot of the feedback that came in. Tomorrow, I will also be on Mel K's show. I don't know if that's going to be live or pre-recorded, but I love hanging out with Mel K. I have a couple of other meetings to do. I better do a lot of my writing for tomorrow, tonight, because I heard that Tony Black may or may not be on now tomorrow because he's got a cold today. So, geez. If he does come on tomorrow, I'm going to say, man, I don't, I don't know, Tone. 
You say if God wants, doesn't sound like God wants you on the show. But uh, I'm hoping that uh, he gets over his sniffles and that we're able to catch up a little bit tomorrow. But if not, then whenever he's able. So that's what we have. Ashton Forbes tonight. Um, all of the plugs tonight are the same as everything. Thank you so much to Blue Monster Prep. Uh, you, you should be prepping for everyday occurrences, but especially for the year-long collection of everyday occurrences that we might be facing in 2024. BlueMonsterPrep.com, promo code FRANKLY for free shipping, but everything on the website on QuiteFrankly.tv and the affiliates page, go take a look at. Uh, especially the Quite Frankly merch that was just launched by Rise Attire. Adrian at Rise Attire told me today that if you're planning on giving any, quite frankly, merch to somebody in your life who's a who's a, a frankly or a Franciscan who wants some of that stuff, that the to order it by Saturday of this week for a guarantee that it'll get to you by Christmas. This usually takes a little bit more than Teespring because the quality of the shirts are so and and the involvement a lot more is involved of getting these images pressed onto the shirt. It's not just like an iron kind of a press. They have a, a very intricate, um, uh, you know, method to their madness over there. It's not that that it wouldn't get to you prior, you know, to to Christmas if you ordered it after Saturday. But if you wanted a guarantee, that is the latest they can guarantee. So. Just wanted to let you know. All right, into the grab bag we go because our our guest is going to be on with us in about 10 minutes. First one up, oh, I have a birthday. I have a birthday. Listen to this. Hey, Frank, today, the 7th, is my husband Tom's 34th birthday. Will you please shout him out on the show? He's such an amazing son, husband, father. I can't wait to make more memories and more babies with him. And I hope you, Lauren, and Aurora are having a fabulous holiday season. Stockings should absolutely point to the left if one can help it, she says. That is from Lindsay McAdam. So, Lindsay and Tom, happy birthday, Tom. We hope that you have a wonderful evening and that the holiday, the Christmas season is even better. And thank you, Lindsay, for reaching out on behalf of Tom. What a lovely couple. All right, here's a little something for you. As if you needed to be told, the headline from the New York Post Republican debate last night, which I did not watch, drops 47% on record night for News Nation. That's right. Nobody was watching because there's no reason to watch. I know I saw some highlights of Vivek this morning that were pretty pleasant, pleasant to watch. Nice things said, making a fool out of Chris Christie and and that 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 creep snow miser chin. Nikki Haley, and that DeSantis guy is just, I don't know, that's that's a sad story, man. What a sad story. <laughs> what a sad story. He could have been a contender, and he just blew his own political brains out. So that's the end of him. And it was so bad. It was so bad um, as far as what Vivek has said that uh, it, it actually elicited a response from Van Jones. He said the phrase, he actually said, literally shaking. L listen to this. If you haven't heard it already, you got to take a listen to this one clip from, from uh, I guess it's CNN last night with Van Jones with his uh, stupid glasses trying to sound astute. And the smug, condescending way that he just spews this poison out yeah. is very, very dangerous because he won't stop Trump 
but he's going to outlive Trump by about 50 years. And you're watching the rise of an American demagogue <laughs> that is a very, very despicable person. Yeah. And I, I'm <laughs> this, this little Indian guy. Just remember, he's talking about this little Indian guy. I, literally, I, I was I was shaking. He was literally shaking. It's like the the Simpsons meme. Say say the say the phrase. He actually said it. Listen to him talk because a lot of people don't know that is one step away from Nazi propaganda coming out of his mouth. Yes, yes, yes. Vivek Ramaswamy, Swami is going to be the the new leader of the new Nazi white supremacist tidal wave. That's coming over here in the United States where nobody's having babies anymore. Right, right, right. These people are just ridiculous. So the rhetoric is going to continue on that way for however long, and that's that. I'll tell you one thing that's going to make, um, what's his name over here? Van Jones shaking his boots is it's going to be whether whether or not Elon Musk lets Alex Jones back on. I'm always listen, I'm I'm down for some good television and this is great television. I have it bookmarked for after the show. I'm going to be watching I'll watch whatever um actually maybe I don't know if Cody or or anybody at the net, on the network side of things is is watching this right now, but we should definitely get the Tucker interview with Alex Jones into rotation in the after hours. I'm going to go and check that out. I bookmarked it because I'd like to see what was going on there. And as a result of that getting around, more people again, a new round of people asking Elon, when are you bringing Jones back? And uh, suddenly he's saying he went from a hard no to I'll hear him out. So... <laughs> uh, this is, On a soap opera level, that was pretty interesting. That was def that was pretty interesting. And speaking of Alex Jones, our guest tonight was just on Infowars recently, and it was a uh, a really sensational uh, exchange. I heard it. I just happened to turn it on when I was just sifting through some of my uh, talk stream live channels, and I heard just like the tail end of it before Jay Dyer came on, and and then I just ended up listening to Jay a little bit. So um, we're. Uh, we are like one degree, a half a degree of separation from everybody. If you think about all of the mutual friends we have, um, it's crazy how how that happens over the years. It really does. I think about it every night. I think about going live and you know, on 2010, 2011, and just starting this solo side of what we were doing since 2006 with Anthony and Mike, and. Um, and, and the growth and the progress from nothing and just from little bites and one handshake at a time and come on talk and introducing you other to it, it's just been really incredible and uh i think i think shows like the ones we have this week really highlight that hey here's something for you here's a headline from fortune since we're going to be talking about high technology a little bit tonight lucid dream startup says engineers can write code in their sleep Work may never be the same again. People spend one third of their lives asleep. What if employees could work during that time in their dreams? Prophetic, a venture back capital found a startup founded earlier this year wants to help workers do just that using a headpiece the company calls the halo. Prophetic says consumers can induce a lucid dream state 
which occurs when uh, a person is having a dream is aware that they're sleeping. The goal is to give people control over their dreams so they can use that time productively. Uh, see, can, can you imagine that? Now, obviously, that takes away from you actually having a, a rest, okay? And the fact that even in your dreams, you are going to be working. These are the people who are talking about we need a we need a three-day work week, a three-day commie work week or something like that. And they want you working in your dream, but it, it can't be just that. It can't be just that. They're coming, for, they're, they're downloading your dreams. I wonder what this is really all about. The goal is to give people control over their dreams so they can use that time productively, as if sleep wasn't productive enough for the human animal. A CEO could practice for an upcoming board meeting. An athlete could run through plays. A web designer could create new templates. Uh, the limiting factor is your imagination. Founder and CEO Eric Wahlberg told Fortune, you know, I could, I could learn a language. Here I am thinking, what can I do in my sleep? Lauren's probably home if she's not, if she's done putting the baby in bed. She's probably home thinking, oh yeah, Frank, if you could do this, you totally would. Hmm. That's a lot of time gained. But um, I'm not putting this this technology on my head. Not happening. Consumer devices claim to induce lucid dream states aren't new. Headbands, eye masks, boxes with electrodes that stick to the forehead all popul all populate the market. Even some supplements claim to do the trick, but there's still an appetite for new technologies since the potential for creativity and problem solving is so great and since many of the market does not they don't extend, uh, they don't go to the extent that they promise. A dream expert told Fortune. So we got to go to new new extremes on all that. Now, hopefully in the second half, we're going to, I'll be able to dig a little deeper into this. And if we don't get to it to a sufficient level, I can always save it for tomorrow. It's Friday. We'll just open up the lines on lucid dreaming, learning while you sleep and whatever the hell else happens. But think about that or dream about it. All right, let's get this one started. Oh, wait, hold on. One last thing before we, we cast off. It's kind of related. It's just kind of creepy tech story. This came from my cousin Sherry, I think two nights ago. She said, Frank, today I drove out of my storage facility with my phone on my bumper of my car. She had forgotten about it. About a half a mile away, the phone flew off the car and into the middle of the road. I figured out what had happened. I had turned around and went to retrieve the phone. On my phone was an alert from Apple saying, it looks like you have been in a crash. Do you want to call 911? 10 minutes later, I got a call from my local police department asking me if I was okay. Needless to say, I don't like this or appreciate it at all, and I told the officer that while I appreciated their concern, I thought it was very intrusive. I just thought I'd let you know that this type of thing is going on now. I'm so unsettled by this. Yeah. And that's just a conscious state intrusion. My oh my. Hey, you know, creepy things like that have been going on for a while with those damn phones. Sound like an old guy when I say that, those damn phones. But you know, it, it, like let's say there is a, uh, when I leave the studio, sometimes the, the phone will tell me, you are seven minutes away from home. Like, how dare you? What if I'm not going home? Like they, they plot your course. Like, oh, you predictable animal. We'll tell you exactly, we know all your patterns. We know all your patterns of life. So that's what I'm telling, telling you. These are the types of things that, um, that used to go into your CIA dossier. 
That they, somebody, uh, uh, an agent had to be assigned to you to be able to pick up these patterns and know your habits. Now it's just, uh, everybody has a GPS on them. All right, we'll be right back with Ashton Forbes. It's gonna be a good one, so don't go anywhere. In fact, help me share it. I put all the live links out across all the, quite frankly, socials. And uh, by the end of tonight, this full episode is going to be uploaded and archived on BitChute and Rumble and Rockfin and all throughout podcasts. Remember, at 8 o'clock, we bounce off to pill.net or, quite frankly, .tv. That's easier, too. It's all the same thing, but both of those links are in the description below and in all the tweets that I put out there. So uh, prepare accordingly, and we will be back in a flash. stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Welcome, ladies and gents. Here we are over here. Now, now, as far as the subject matter for this evening, as far as the subject matter for this evening, I already told you a little bit about our guest, Ashton Forbes, and I'll tell you just a little bit more in a second, and he can tell you the rest. But I'm going to bring you back in time a little, just for a second. Now... I said 2014, some of you, you had to remember at least the headlines because for a while there, for a matter of weeks, it was just what the hell happened to this plane? Malaysian flight, Malaysian Airlines flight 370, what the hell happened to it? It just disappeared. Then we had the search, the search which quickly became the most expensive uh, missions in all of aviation history, and it produced virtually nothing. So it was just a head scratcher. Uh, you have to you have to assume that everybody's lost, and hey, you know it's the Indian Ocean, it's the sea. I guess that the, the, any ocean is big enough to just swallow everything, but with with no debris. About a, a year later or something, somebody said that a, a flap or a something washed up on shore somewhere. I'm going to ask Ashton about that. But I, when you think about a 777 going down you think that there would be a little bit more of a defined debris field and not just one piece somewhere. And um, 
And there you have it. And then the the subsequent investigation also produced inconclusive results with theories in the mainstream ranging from hypoxia, just there was some kind of a cabin pressure issue and oxygen levels and everybody just, just went down uh, to hijacking. Uh, I remember a lot of people talking about the pilot being suicidal and just wanting to take people down with him. I, th- these are the things I just remember vaguely, but nothing bore fruit. And for everyone other than the families lost, the incident had long since been forgotten until a few months ago when what seemed to be a sat- satellite footage of the plane being intercepted by orbs Three orbs, you know, one orb that kind of multiplied into three and then spiraled in a, in a moving orbit around the plane and then in an instant swallowed it up into oblivion and it just disappeared. No explosion, just blipped, blipped off the screen. And that's what we saw. Now, we're going to talk about those because this is something that only crossed my, my uh, timelines in the last couple of months. But there is a much older story here, and people, like our guest tonight, Ashton Forbes, he has been a part of that investigation for a while now. Now, Ashton is a citizen journalist who launched MH370X, an investigation into the mysterious 2014 disappearance of Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. And uh, and tonight, we have him here. Ashton, I'm so happy to be talking with you, man. Hey, Frank, how's it going, man? Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. You have been on some of the bigger shows on the internet in the last couple of months, and I'm sure that your tour is nowhere near done, so I'm glad that you were able to make a little bit of time for us. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure to be here. I think uh, people ask me if I ever get tired of doing this, and the reality is I never get tired of telling the truth and spreading the evidence to as many people as possible because that's what our goal is. Absolutely. I mean, how can you get tired of this? It's a good conversation. It's it's mm-hmm. enthralling, and honestly, it's a really it, it's an exercise of the imagination after a while too, because you get to a certain point where there is only, hey, what are our options here? Let's speculate. Let's really expand out with the possibilities, because w- with what we've been left, w- what on our radar screen can really can really explain. Subs, uh, sufficiently what's going on. So you are a pretty resourceful investigator and again, an example of just how well a civilian with an internet connection and a little bit of passion can do a really great job better than most media companies on the planet. Uh, when did your interest in this particular uh, air, uh, you know, aviation event peak? Yeah, well, it definitely peaked when I saw these videos reemerge back in August um, on the social media site Reddit. But I've always been interested in um, airline disasters in general, mostly because I have a personal fear of flying, uh, even though I've flown uh, several million miles in my lifetime for my job and just as personal as well. Um, but, you know, because of that fear, I've always been interested in, in what happens to airplanes, what causes them to have accidents. Uh, read Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point to better understand how uh, failures occur and how they cascade. Um, and then with respect to this incident, you know, I was never really that comfortable with the official narrative that came out. I think that there was always a lot of doubt into it. And I had always been under the impression that the U.S. government must know more about what happened to this plane than they let on. Um, you know, we have satellites everywhere. As part of this investigation, we've proven that we have satellites everywhere scanning the whole world. Um, so when I saw these videos, uh, it 
it definitely piqued my curiosity, especially because I, and I, I believe probably thousands of other people had seen these videos back in 2014. I had seen the drone thermal video and I had just written it off because my conscious had not risen to a point where I could understand it to be real. It may even be that only in 2023 could we even begin to understand these videos to be real. So that's one of the first initial amazing aspects about them. So so your investigation really only, your official involvement in this really only started in August. Yeah, it's incredible to think of that. I was just looking at my Twitter profile. I think we're almost up to nearly 69,000 followers. And it just blows my mind because uh, back in August, I had 30 followers. And most of them were just fake accounts and stuff like that. Uh, when I debunked the Newsweek debunk, I had 30 followers and my name would just said Ashton with, uh, you know, I think I don't even think I had a profile picture at that time. Um, and I only got interested in social media for the intention of disseminating the evidence related to this case to the public. Um, so this is truly a grassroots movement, uh, community-led involvement and investigation that has morphed into, I guess, kind of um, putting me under the spotlight, which I, I'm not against. Uh, part of the reason why I wanted to do this was because I felt like if these videos are real, there would be a big disinformation campaign to keep them hidden just due to the magnitude of the implications that come with them. And that having a security clearance related to my normal job uh, would protect me against some of that, but not obviously not all of it. Mm. Um, and I just I think that I can speak pretty well publicly and getting better and better ever after every podcast here. So um, this definitely isn't all on me. And, um, you know, again, I think it goes out to I want to thank the communities that have done a lot of the investigation, whose work that I've spotlighted, who's allowed us and my organization, MH370X, to find out even more details around this case, more than I would have ever thought we could uncover. Yeah, I, I think it's just shocking to me because the, the, the body of work that you have put forth so far with all the people that you've collaborated with, it, it, it's the, the volume of it, it just, it's something that you would think that would had accrued over years and you've been just been doing it for a few months. It's incredible. And you know, this is another example. Every once in a while, I always go back to the, um, the, the, uh, the beloved autists on the, on the boards who, you know, with, with very little resources were able to actually find ISIS training camps in Syria, mm -hmm. uh, just through, just through Google maps and a few other things or, or that, uh, that, that famous capture the flag incident with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. I mean, dude, that, that, that's, that isn't, it's incredible what, what you, what you can do with, with yeah. no budget whatsoever. And you think about what the hell are we giving the Pentagon all this money for? <laughs> so, okay. So let me ask you this. Um, for those who don't remember, could you please just go through the official story of that day in 2014 mm -hmm. and then the subsequent search? Um, you go through in, in any kind of detail you think is necessary to, to be refreshed. And anytime you want to take control of the screen, you go right ahead. Yeah, I'll start with just the official narrative because the official narrative was very obfuscated early on. It wasn't until weeks, if not months later, until a story really started to emerge and develop. Um, we were under this impression the plane disappeared over the South China Sea. And then later on, days later, we get told, oh, no, military was tracking on radar. Now we're going to expand the search to the Andaman Sea and the Malacca Straits and the Nicobar Islands. And then days later after that, we're told, okay, well, actually, now we're going to go search maybe in the South Indian Ocean, maybe the North Indian Ocean. And then later on, we get told, okay, no, now it's, we think it's in the South Indian Ocean. We've, we've ruled out the North Indian Ocean. But all, none of this was straightforward to the public. They waited weeks, if not days, to release radar data, the Immerstat pings. I think it was months for the Immerstat pings to be released to the public. And those were only released through the family members somehow. Like the whole situation was sketchy from the get go. Um, Malaysian government was 
crucified in the media over their handling of it and their a lack of transparency, mm-hmm. which now when we look at it in retrospect, we can see that there was malicious intent to hide information, right? Um, and that's what this investigation has definitively uncovered. So the narratives that are out there, and again, this is not even the official story because the official story is that they don't know what happened to the plane. That's what the official story is. But there's narratives out there. These narratives that the plane crashed into the South Indian Ocean, this narrative that you can track these, uh, where the plane went by these Immerstat pings and this whisper route that's out there that's complete nonsense, um, this narrative that the pilot suicided the plane on an eight-hour joyride and was flying by his hometown when in reality he's going to the nearest, closest airport you could go to in an emergency situation. Like, we're going to shatter these narratives here tonight. And um, that being said, what we've developed and uncovered from this investigation, like you pointed out, the body of evidence is so overwhelming that it is practically undeniable. And that's the reason why I think we've gained such a following and why this movement, MH370X, has so much support and attention at the moment. Mm. Now, now, talk about debris for a second, because I remember a year later or some kind of time later, uh, after, oh, we can't find a debris field anywhere. We can't find any evidence that a, this was a 777, right? Yeah, yeah, 777-200. Okay, yep. so we, we can't find any evidence of a plane of substantial size had crashed in the ocean, which is ridiculous. And then about a year later, uh, apparently a, a piece or a flap of something washes up on a distant shoreline. Uh, t- talk, talk about that. Uh, obviously, I, I don't believe that for a second, yeah. not even back then. But now that we're really taking a look at it, it seems even more ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, the whole fact that a debris, there's no debris field for a 777 crash into the ocean is just nonsensical, right? This plane is huge. Even on a controlled descent, it's going to rip up into pieces. Landing in the ocean is not like landing in the Hudson River. It's much more volatile. This plane would have ripped into pieces. There would have been debris everywhere. It would have spread for miles. And if it was shot down, then the debris field would have been hundreds of miles. So the fact that we didn't find a debris field at all, that we should have seen it the next day, our satellites, China satellites, Russia's satellites, they would have pinpointed the debris field the very next day. This was the most expensive and extensive search in human history, and it didn't find one piece of the plane. Those pieces that you mentioned got found over a year later by random people that had washed up on the shore. We found no black boxes, despite the fact that these whisper out and Immersat pings had you know, supposedly pinpointed the final arc of where this plane could have crashed. Uh, the SOSA system that heard that Titan sub pop didn't hear have any acoustic detections of MH370 crashing into the ocean. Two other uh, hydrophones, the Western Australia, as well as Diego Garcia, Diego Garcia data was made public. There's no acoustic detections for a plane crashing into the ocean anytime around where they meant, said that it's supposed to have crashed, or at all, frankly. Uh, there's at least three different radar systems that should have seen this plane. India actually has joint bases that are in the Nicobar Islands, uh, Port Blair and Car Nicobar, which presumably have radar that would have seen this plane turning into the South Indian Ocean. Indonesia would have seen it flying by their country, and Australia would have seen it in the South Indian Ocean. None of these radar systems see the plane. There's no witnesses that see the plane, even though this is on an active shipping route between Africa and Australia, even though it slowly crashes in the early morning hours in the daylight, nobody sees it. Nobody finds the debris field. We have four redundant emergency transponder beacons on this that are supposed to go off when they crash that are basically no way to turn them off. And none of these go off to tell us where the plane is. We've got 19 family members who are signing a joint statement saying that they can call the phones of the victims for up to four days afterwards. One of them even proves it on national television. Like I might be able to suspend the belief for like one or two phones ringing, but 
phones, tr cell phone signal doesn't go out into the middle of the ocean. Your cell phone dies within 30 minutes or so of being under salt water. And you can't even get a uh, radio frequency on a cell phone when it's under a few feet of water. So all this evidence points to the fact that this plane simply did not crash in the South Indian Ocean. The debris that they found, uh, we searched with 42 planes and 39 boats from over 10 different countries, and they didn't find one piece. So the debris that was found, some of this by Blaine Gibson, who I don't think he should be somebody who's vilified. I think he's just a normal guy that happened to find some pieces of debris. Um, only three of the pieces have been confirmed to be tied to MH370. They don't tell you that the flap run that you mentioned did not use as a unique serial number to match it to the plane, uh, which is a little bit suspicious whenever the media is lying about something of such magnitude. There's, a, there's supposed to be this bolted-on serial plate. It just happened to be missing. They say, oh, it must have washed off in the water, which makes no sense whatsoever. Um, there's an exact replica of the plane purchased by GA Telesis in October of 2013, a 9M-MRK that was scrapped decades too soon. Exact same model as the 9M MRO MH370, also purchased from Malaysia Airlines. So it would have had the exact same paint and uh, pieces that Malaysian Airlines would have had. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily this debris is not from Malaysian Airlines. I'm just saying that there's a lot of doubt as to whether or not it is. The scenario that we put forth actually accounts for the debris fully. Some of the debris even had burn marks on it. So the parts that had burn marks on it actually had the honeycomb pattern of a Boeing airplane. And the scenario that we've put forth is an emergency event scenario of a lithium ion battery fire. So it blows my mind that so much of this evidence has been kind of ignored that really adds up to a pretty mundane event, uh, a fire on board this plane. Uh, and we'll get into that, but it's corroborated by 19 witnesses too. The, 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 the uh, fire. And is that, is that what we were seeing? Because I know that at some point we're going to see the, the footage here tonight, but uh, is that what that, that, va that uh, vapor trail is? Is that a fire? Was the plane on fire, or was that just a, a regular old contrail? Yeah, and uh, just a quick heads up. I'm going to need the ability to share screen, if you can turn that on. Okay. Um, the, it cannot be contrails because this plane is too low. We can see cumulus clouds in the backgrounds of the videos, which only form between 1,000 and 5,000 feet. So this, that means this plane is flying relatively low. That's going to be consistent with the witness who was in the location, who excuse me, saw the plane flying low as well. And their, her recreation has said that it's been under 10,000 feet. Uh, contrails only form between 18,000 feet and above, uh, sometimes around 30,000 feet. So these cannot be contrails in our videos. Many of the attempted debunks claim that we're looking at contrails and they're objectively false. Um, so this has to be either exhaust or smoke. I don't believe that exhaust can would kind of maintain its uh, form in the way that we see here in these videos. Mm -hmm. But lithium-ion battery fires are toxic, and they spew chemicals when they're in their very dark smoke that they put off. So we've actually had a bunch of videos where we can show that uh, various chemicals will produce smoke in infrared, just like this. Another one of the debunks out there claims that it couldn't be smoke because smoke doesn't show up in IR, but then they use examples of like people cooking. You know, so we're not talking about someone cooking some ribs here. We're talking about lithium ion battery fires spewing toxic chemicals. So uh, we believe that there's a very strong evidence that what we're seeing here is smoke that's potentially coming from the AC exhaust vents where this smoke has been billowing out through the cabin, pushed through the AC system and going out the heat exhaust, which is corroborated by a uh, very hot heat signature we see in the thermal in the belly of the plane 
right near where these exhaust ports are, where the landing gear is as well. Okay. So I now I just made you the host of the, uh, right. the you should be able to share that way. Yep. Um, now, while you're putting that up, uh, and we're getting this already here, I remember when the satellite and the drone footage started getting around this summer. And uh, because I, I haven't really been dialed into this, I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, nearly 10 years later, this is a really interesting new chapter of the story. But then yeah. I was shocked to see that the upload was actually shortly after this all happened. The, the, the original upload of the, the footage, I'm sure you'll, you're going to get around to, was in mm-hmm. 2014. What, uh, um, please, yeah. once we get to that point, please tell us about the... The in, whatever you know about that initial upload of the footage, the channel it was on, and anything yeah. else there is to be known. Yeah, and we'll get into that. And what I'll say just for now to get people warmed up to it is that we have been able to find the archived links, only archived, the, what, the YouTube account's been deleted, of what we think is the oldest version that these were put out. It says on it, received March 12th, 2014, which is just four days after the event. It says published May 19th, 2014 which is roughly 72 days after the event. So this really narrows down the window of time where someone could have even have hoaxed these videos. And as I mentioned before, I myself saw the thermal video, presumably in the summer of 2014, though I don't know exactly when it was in 2014. And I've had many other people uh, testify to the fact that they had also seen this footage back in 2014 as well. So this video, these videos have been proven to go all the way back to 2014, which is what makes this case so strong. You know, if these videos had come out in 2023, Everyone would say, oh, well, it's just AI could have created them, deep fake, something like that. Right? But, 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 you're saying, are, but, so, but you're saying that the initial upload was four days after. It wasn't put, it wasn't put public for uh, many we- uh, weeks later. But when you say upload four days later, I mean, that, that in the span of four days, especially back in 2014, uh, and you're going to get into the, the coordination and the multiple camera angles and how this holds up from every vantage point. Uh, yeah. Three and a half days of production time to put this out there after the, the story breaks is is very, very short time. Yeah, and I think I just want to be very clear here that we don't know that it was uploaded initially four days after. We can't prove that. The only thing we can prove that it was published May 19th, 2014. So that could be just a description that was added. Uh, um, I was talking to Kim.com. He believed that that would indicate that potentially maybe it was uploaded then but not published to the public. Right now, we can't say for certain at the moment. Okay. So that's why I kind of leave it open-ended when I talk about the dates there. But if you do believe that this footage is somehow fake, then you needed to have an explanation for why the registered non account that uploaded it put in the description, received March 12th, 2014, right? And that's really where your story would have to begin. To date, nobody that thinks the videos are fake have presented any comprehensive story for how they were faked and who they were faked by. But we'll get into that as well. So right now I want to go over the MH370X flight path explainer here. And this plane is taking off from Kuala Lumpur at 1642 UTC, and it's headed to Beijing. And it gets to what we call the Agari Waypoint. Just one minute before it gets to the Agari Waypoint at 1719 UTC is when we get that last official communication that's been released to the public. Good night, Malaysian Airlines, flight 370. And then 70 or 64 seconds later, the plane goes dark at 1721 UTC. So this is the part where Mike McKay is on an oil rig over to the northeast over here, looking out, having a smoke break in the middle of the night. He notices and sees a plane on fire very low on the horizon. Um, now, this is the indication where our lithium-ion battery fire has uh, ignited and exploded, potentially. 221 kilograms of lithium-ion batteries in the cargo bay. That's 500 pounds, nearly, of lithium-ion batteries in the cargo bay. These are very dangerous events, I found out. 
Um, runaway lithium-ion battery fires are were something that took out a lot of planes before 2014, so much so that the FAA in 2015 outlawed them in the passenger cargo bay, uh, cargo bays of passenger planes because there's nobody down there looking. They start smoking, they explode, and then they're on fire. You can put them out. They just keep coming back up and up again. So there's also nine witnesses along the coast here that hear loud noises same time, consistent with the explosion of lithium-ion batteries. The plane turns around and goes dark. So there's a Wired article that argues that in an electrical fire, the, pl the pilot would pull the buses, make the plane go dark, and then reset them to try to figure out where this whatever uh, damage to the electrical bay had occurred. Um, Ten minutes after this plane goes dark, and it it's turning around at this point and going directly to Penang Airport here. Penang Airport is the closest airport, according to that same Wired article, that someone would go to an emergency situation. The first thing you want to do is you want to try to land the plane, but you need a landing strip long enough that has lights on because it's also at this point 1721 utc is 121 a.m it's pitch black so 10 minutes later at 1730 utc is when there's a communication to another 777 pilot who does not want to be named because they probably were afraid that they would lose their job like mike mckay did for having a sighting that's on the record here it's very important that if there's a cover-up that they needed to discredit every single person who was a witness to the events um, they said that they heard the pilot and or co-pilot along with a bunch of static, but there's no more details about what was said during that communication. At the same time, at 1730 UTC, there's eight fishermen 10 miles off the coast here, and they see this plane flying extremely low, very ex uh, um, uh, uh, extraordinary situation where the plane's flying low. This would be uh, an indication that the plane had, gone, had a uh, depressurization event happen from the explosion and that the pilots are flying low enough to keep oxygen for the passengers these oxygen masks in the passenger area only last between 15 and 25 minutes what that means is if there is a depressurization event you need to fly low enough that they're going to have enough oxygen to be able to breathe this is actually completely uh contradictory to the official not even the official narrative but the narrative that's out there that the pilot was trying to give everybody hypoxia asphyxiate everybody make everybody fall asleep exact opposite same with going to penang the closest airport that has the best elevation changes here, especially when you're flying low. You don't want to be crashing into any mountains. The plane gets to Penang here at 1752 UTC. So this is 30 minutes after the plane goes dark. Um, this is pretty fast, especially if you consider that when you're landing a plane from high altitude, you know, it's going to take, you know, 20 minutes usually when you land. It's not a very, you don't just bring it straight down, right? You slowly go to uh, get lower. Now this is where the co-pilot's cell phone pings a cell phone tower. So it could be possible that they didn't react fast enough here there was not enough emergency support yet for them to get in contact with the airport it's also possible that the airport runway lights were off keep in mind this is a third world country this is not like being in a major country here uh, i've been to malaysia i love the malaysian people but it's very possible that the runway lights were off here it's two in the morning basically at this point there's not going to be flights coming in and out at this time usually also we have the malaysian minister of defense who if you listen to his interviews contradicts himself he won't answer any questions as to when he was notified when the plane went missing. He also then says that the plane was unidentified, that they saw on radar, on military radar coming back over here. But then he says that the plane was a civilian airliner and that it was not hostile. How could they possibly know, A, that it's a civilian airliner and it's not hostile? I guess they could deduce the civilian airliner part. I mean, what other plane could it possibly be? But the not hostile part doesn't make any sense. Some of the major narratives were this plane had been hijacked 
or the suicide situation. Yeah, I know. So, and just in just uh, uh, Ashton, I remember yep. you know back at that that first waypoint, that was the big thing uh, in the headlines at the time. That the last thing that this pilot said was "Good night, Malaysia," and that was supposedly like his uh, his suicide <laughs> uh, his suicide declaration to the world. That's the way that it was it was packaged by a lot of people. Yeah, now it's completely false. Yeah. Um, there's no like discernment in his voice at all. Uh, there was no alarms going off either at that point, but that was just a normal communication because he was changing radars between the Malaysian radar and then the Vietnam. So they also argue, oh, this is a weak point in the radars. I would just argue that this was incidental in terms of the fire. This is when the fire went out, and that just happened to be the location for it. You could also argue that there's an espionage event at play here. And if so, then somebody ignited this fire intentionally. And that perhaps this is the best location to do it because it is that weak point between the radars here. But there's no indication that saying goodnight MH370 is anyway a suicide situation. If you look into the German wings suicide situation from 2015, that pilot locked out the co-pilot and crashed the plane in under uh, nine minutes. So it's not a situation where you go on multiple hour joy rides, right? You have a full, uh, you know, the, the people inside the plane are going to be getting pretty desperate if you're taking it on a joy ride. So you would crash the plane pretty much immediately. The plane would have probably crashed right here in the South China Sea. They wouldn't have been going on this joy ride. Definitely wouldn't be going to say goodbye to your hometown at two in the morning when you can't see anything. Uh, not, and definitely not at the closest airport that you would go to in an emergency situation. So the flight path is completely counter to the narrative of the suicide route. Now, whatever happens here, the plane does not land in Penang. So either because of landing gear, uh, the, the runway lights are off, potentially this plane was on fire, uh, maybe the landing gear was damaged because we see this heat signature in the landing gear area. If there was a fire and the batteries were not properly stowed and they were too close to the landing gear, it's possible that the landing gear was damaged. In fact, the Wired article argues that what might have happened was that the landing gear itself might have started on fire because it gets heated up when you take off and it was a very hot night. Mm -hmm. uh, so if the landing gear is damaged, the next thing you're supposed to do is you're supposed to land on your belly. We actually had several pilots reach out to us and we looked at the uh, scenarios for what you're supposed to do. Landing on your belly with a uh, plane full of fuel, another six hours of fuel is going to explode the plane. So you would have to dump the fuel, but dumping the fuel with active fire scenario is also very dangerous. So for whatever reason here, the pilot does not land. They also could have communication with the plane, you know, going back to what the minister of defense said. So they could have established a rendezvous point and said, okay, we're going to have you land in the water, which is the next thing you're supposed to do according to the pilot manual, but you need support. You can't just land in the water anywhere. In fact, landing in the water is going to cause this plane to rip apart, as we mentioned when we uh, kind of dispelled this myth of it crashing in the South Indian Ocean. So best case scenario now, you're hoping for uh, a Sully Sullenberger situation mm -hmm. where somehow, some way you can miraculously land this plane in the ocean and that you're going to have enough support to be able to get the people out of the water right away. Because it's middle of the night, we looked at the moon phases and there's no moon up, so it's pitch black, dark out. You're going to need support there right away. Um, in addition to that, many of the passengers most likely didn't know how to swim. It's not as common in China for people to learn how to swim as it is in America and in the West. Uh, and then here, the plane gets to 1822. This is where the official narratives say that they lost contact with the plane, where military radar supposedly lost contact with the plane. But if you look up all the reports from the next day on March 8th and March 9th, they actually say that the Subang air traffic control lost contact with the plane at 1840 UTC. This is relevant because this is our smoking gun. This is the time and location where we believe the videos are happening, where you see this boat over here on the left. This is Catherine T's boat. 
she is our next witness who sees this glowing orange plane. And we kept wondering, why is she seeing a glowing orange plane in the sighting? Her sighting is very well documented. She, she was going from India to Phuket, which is a small dot over here. And she had reported it when she landed. She thought, you know, this had to have been the plane, you know, and she was right. I mean, it literally had to be. Everybody agrees she was in the right location at the right time to be able to see the plane flying over. Um, when we look at the videos, we see these three orbs. We wondered, hmm, could these orbs be causing the plane to glow orange? But it didn't really make any sense. Um, and then we figured out that the halogen fire extinguishing devices can release bromine from a chemical reaction, which is a halogen gas. These halogen gases glow orange. So what we're talking about now is that they've been fighting this fire desperately for over an hour. And this is releasing bromine throughout the entire plane. It's potentially leaking out of the plane. And that's why she's seeing this haze. And because it's the middle of the night and there's not a lot of light pollution, she sees it very clearly as a what looks almost identical to a halogen lamp. We've compared some, she had several recreations get done in the past in her blog posts. You compare it to a halogen lamp, it looks almost identical. So this is our last 19th witness that corroborates this fire event on board the plane. She sees the plane flying low. She sees the plane circling in the same direction of travel that we see from our videos. And uh, it's also descending from the point where she sees it. She watches it for five to 10 minutes. She goes inside her boat to put, put the kettle on, comes back out and there's no more plane there anymore. Hmm. I talked to her personally. She did not see the plane disappear. Uh, she also did not see any orbs. We don't even know if the orbs are actually visible to the naked eye or whether or not they are only seen in infrared. Um, but she also sees dark smoke coming out of the back of the plane as well, which again corroborates what we see in the videos being potentially lithium ion battery smoke. There's also a mayday that is reported to be at 2.43 a.m., which if you convert that to Malaysian local time, it was an intercepted communication from the Thai embassy, Chinese Thai embassy, I believe, you convert that to Malaysian local time, it's 1843 UTC, within three minutes of the sighting of Catherine T seeing the plane. And this is, again, this uh, mayday call that was intercepted uh, was a that only reported in Chinese news that claimed to be from Malaysian Airlines saying that the plane was disintegrating in an attempting emergency landing. So all this, again, corroborates a fire scenario, corroborates the events that we see in the video, as well as we have a witness here. So we have three different sources of corroboration for what our official narrative is. And this is going to be where we see our event happen on our videos. So do you want to switch and go to those or do you have some questions before uh, I do that? Well, you know, now uh, I had not been considering the fire situation. Although when I saw the videos, I saw the trail of smoke. And then, of course, now this is coming up. I have a qu I have one question that I'm, I think I, I need to save because once we start getting into the you know what we're looking at with this technology that you're about to show um i think that it'll be a little bit more uh suited for a, a little bit later in the maybe in the second half so let's okay. just get into what comes next because this is this is very interesting stuff here and and what i would like to preface this with is that um we're getting this with three different forms of surveillance though do i have that right that we had two u.s spy satellites and one u.s military drone that was in the area this is that's how this was all captured yeah so i think we can confirm that there's at least two different angles that are viewing this event um one of them the original footage that we see from regicide and non is a stereoscopic side by side meaning it's two different angles okay now we don't know with certainty that the original footage came in 3d stereoscopic like that because there's different versions that were uploaded later that were in higher quality that don't show the stereoscopic effect 
So this would indicate that neither of them was potentially the original source, and we don't know exactly what the original source file was or capable of. What we can prove is that there was two satellites directly over the Nicobar Islands that could stare right down at our coordinates that we see in the satellite video, USA 229, at the exact, exact time that we needed it to be. So I'll go ahead and pull that up just so people can see because I think this is pretty compelling. To yeah, see. let's just um, watch this. Let's watch it. Yep. So here we are seeing USA 229. This is NROL 34 launched in 2011, the same year that the Trump satellite picture for, that he posted in 2019 was launched. And we can see here our coordinates that show up in the bottom left. This is just one of the coordinates that we see. Uh, and we believe that these can scan a much wider field of view than just this bubble that we're seeing here. But this is about a thousand kilometer diameter that we put. Um, and now here, if you look at the top of the screen, you can actually see the time. This is 1839 UTC. These satellites are staring straight down at our location here. So there is 0% chance the United States government did not see this plane in the location of the Nicobar Islands. This is also coincidentally the location where the plane supposedly turned into the South Indian Ocean based on the, the narratives that are out there. So if this plane turned to the South Indian Ocean, the United States government is staring at it. We actually have them on record saying that they use the SIBRS system, space-based infrared system, to solve the mystery of MH370. And I would ask you, what the heck did they solve? Because nothing was solved. Right. And then and, and let me just, so let me ask you again, with these two satellites in the area, is mm -hmm. their frame, is the, the, the field of reference that they have, is it really this fine, this pinpointed? Because it, the probability, when I think about the probabilities of, it's one thing if these satellites are up in low Earth orbit and they are able to capture things that are happening across many, many hundreds, if not thousands of miles, and then you yeah. almost like patchwork them together. But if they really have a limited scope, then that that in insinuates to me that this is uh, very, very consciously set up surveillance. Yeah. So we ended up finding the Sibber system after we saw this. Thing about you know U.S. government used Sibbers uh, to help the intel intelligence community solve the mystery of MH370. We Google Sibbers. Turns out if you go to the video tab, the very top hit is Lockheed Martin video, the one we're staring at right now. We can see these geostationary satellites out here that don't move, create a network. We can see these millennial orbit satellites, which we've looked into. These are the ones that are your relay command networks or satellites. They're relaying information between all the other satellites. We don't even see the low Earth orbit satellites on here. They would be very, very close. Our USA is 229 on here. These are all relaying information one another. And watch this. They're scanning the whole Earth all the time. The video here, which you don't hear the sound, literally says global persistent surveillance monitoring. Look at the size of these scans. Wow. These scans are thousands of kilometers wide. So this thing is scanning the whole Earth all the time. There's some examples here of just this one scanning huge swaths of area. I would argue our thousand kilometer diameter is much too small. This is potentially producing a Google Earth video playback useful used by the military, not just to show stuff in real time, but also to have playback anytime they want. All right. You save this data onto a computer, you can just pull up your location, your time, and you can you know see the events that you want to see. In fact, that's what we think is happening in our satellite video, which I'll go ahead and pull up here for us next. Yes, everybody. So this is the um, this is the famous video that was uploaded in 2014 and has uh, become the 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 main subject matter of all of Ashton's and his team's investigations uh, this year. Take a look at this. Yeah. So this is the side by side, but this is the stereoscopic side by side. This is not the same angle that we're seeing here. 
So if this is the true source version of it, then we have two satellites staring straight down that can produce this stereoscopic video. We actually turned it into a 3D video as well so that you can actually wear blue and uh, red glasses and see. You can see this smoke here coming behind the plane. You can see this mouse come onto the screen here. The mouse came from off the screen, which tells us that this is a wider field of view that's being cropped. Also notice we're not looking at someone staring at a monitor with a camera or even a camera phone. This is an actual screen recording. That mouse we just saw is 24 frames per second, but the background is six frames per second. This indicates that somebody was actually logged in to a Citrix session, meaning that people are not familiar with Citrix sessions. This is what large companies use. Apparently the military uses it for the spy satellite system too, where you can then network into a remote uh, database. So if you're on like say a spy plane, you're not that all that data isn't just being locally produced on on the plane itself right it's at a server farm somewhere right and you're connecting to it uh we also think that this is the recording of it that the person's playing but they could have been show, watching it in real time at the same time there and there's some evidence for why it's the recording as well uh, but i won't dig too much into that now we see this orb come flying in that orb came flying in with slingshot it past the plane and then we're going to see it come back and get around the plane here it starts to circle on the side of the plane and then it gets starts circling the plane itself, like it's locking into it. It's moving at roughly Mach 3 speeds. With, with any conventional craft, moving at that speed would rip apart. Um, and especially would be able to turn as fast as it did. The second orb shoots up through the water here and up through this cloud. And it begins to circle the plane in unison with the first one. And then the third orb comes in. No. And it's almost like they are both attracting to one another and repelling one another at the same time. The central center of mass is the plane itself between this 120 degree perfect equilateral triangle, which has been described to me by electrical PhDs, electrical engineer PhDs as a 120 degree zero point sinusoidal pattern. And what I mean by that is if you were to graph the wave function, it's a perfect sine wave function. So what we're seeing here is not little people or aliens flying around in these orbs. This is either uh, AGI, advanced, uh, or what is it, Art, uh, artificial general intelligence, or a computer program, or some sort of remote control computer program that we're seeing here. Now, this is mapping the plane here, presumably, or it's preparing it for something. There's clear purpose to what it's doing. If we had also looked and seen, if you were to collapse time down on what's happening with this circling of the plane, it's actually forming a sphere around the plane, and the pattern looks just like the movie Contact, actually where you have this like weird object with these lines around the plane that are circling this uh, object that Jodie Foster uses to uh, transport across space. Now, when the plane gets past this cloud, and again, these are these cumulus clouds, low altitude cumulus clouds, the pattern changes. And now the orbs are vertical around the plane, like in a ring formation, as if they're preparing it and potentially the space time around it for what's about to happen here. Now, I want you to watch closely here because we're going to see this zap happen. And this zap accurately is illuminating the clouds. I'm gonna go ahead and just switch here to show you. There's another version here where you can see the zap and you can see the, the illumination happen mm. very clearly here, right? Yeah, I see it. Yeah, and so this illumination is the indication that everything we're seeing here is real. These are very highly detailed volumetric clouds. We were actually just showing a detailed analysis earlier today that was just posted just today that actually shows that there's a bunch of little anomalies that happen that would be far too detailed to be hoaxing. This actually just has to be real video, as hard as it is to believe. And this person patches together all of the, the different scenes so that you can see the whole event. You can see the direction of the orbs coming in, everything. 
And you can even see the cloud movements on this one. Now, the reason why the clouds don't move side to side is because we're looking at data from satellites a thousand kilometers away. And they're in the out and they're up in low Earth orbit. So it's not going to be a situation where you're going to see these clouds moving left to right. They are jiggling a little bit. Um, and again, each perspective we see on all these perspective changes is only a few seconds long. So it's not like a situation where we're looking at the same cloud for over a minute. You're only looking at it for a few seconds in each one. But this video proves beyond any shadow of a doubt that there is cloud movement, that there is little tiny things that are moving around in the background of these videos, stuff that you would never have in any type of hoax video. Um, and I'll just go ahead and show the high quality version of this that is not the stereoscopic one, where you can actually see the coordinates very clearly in the bottom left. And this debunks the fake Newsweek and France 24 debunks it. If you Google this to try to debunk it and go, oh, oh, no, it says it's NRL 33. You can clearly see in the bottom left that that says NRL 22. You can actually see the 93 down here. This 93 tells us that we're seeing NRL 22. Turns out NRL 22 was sent up in 2006. And that was the beginning of the Sibir system. NRL 22 is also USA 184, which has one of those millennia orbits. This is presumed to be our command satellite that is used to relay the information. So for whatever reason, we see that in the bottom left, potentially the person who leaked this was logged into that command satellite. I mean, we don't know exactly how they log into the Sibir system and what that means, but we can see those coordinates. These coordinates indicate the Nicobar Islands, the exact location that we saw from the USA 229 flyover, the exact location where this plane supposedly turned in the South Indian Ocean, which we know never crashed down there. So as hard as this stuff is to believe right now, the story that is told from these videos corroborates what really happened to the plane. And if those dates and times of the videos being posted are accurate, then this is what happened to the plane. I mean, it pretty much has to be. There's not enough time for even this narrative to be developed. Even if you were to say on March 19th, have somebody try to hoax it, they wouldn't have enough information to know all the stuff that we see here, the location, uh, the coordinates, like that, that public knowledge was not like that clear back then. It took us such a long time to come up with a comprehensive narrative for what could have happened to this plane. Well, that's the, that's the reason why I said before there too is that when you when when you consider if this is a a manufactured video, uh, if you consider the amount of time and all of the considerations that it would have to be made by the actual hoaxers uh, to 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 make this debunk proof. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just not enough time. It's not enough yeah. time to to be able to do that from the from the from the moment when this was being recorded. Because you know, for uh, for the days after this this plane left, I mean, still, uh, it, it could be possible that in about five mm -hmm. days, it take about five days to a week to find a debris field or something. Mm -hmm. who, who knows? It's an ocean, by you know, but yeah. for all for all that you know. But the fact that this was already uh, produced. It's really something that, now here let me ask you this I know that this yeah. is this is a recording of a screen but is there um, from the the original feed is there some kind of evidence that this is a a consciously focused camera on, on is the is the plane being consciously focused on or is that just the the uh, whoever uh, recorded this off of the the screen initially so the satellite one that we were just looking at would have been a screen recording that they potentially logged in later and they recorded that. And if I had let it play out all the way to the end there, you would have seen them close the window at the end too. That's the indication they weren't watched. That video didn't come from real time because you're not going to close your recording. You're not going to close your monitoring of it after, you know, the middle of the, watching that happen, right? This one, 
happened in real time. This is the MQ1C Gray Eagle footage. Okay, hold on. You know what? You know what, Ashton? Let, let's hold that. Uh, let's hold okay. that thought right there. We're going to go on a really quick break. We're going to bounce over to uh, to Pilled.net and to Quite Frankly TV. I in uh, I I'm just going to. Um, just mute yourself real quick over there, uh, Ashton, and we will be back in about a minute and a half. Ladies and gentlemen, there is so much more to this, not only Ashton's breakdown, but then all the bigger, bigger, bigger questions, like the uh, the reality-bending questions, and then, of course, your calls. There's nothing like watching this live. You can uh, This will be uploaded and archived on Rumble and on BitChute and on Rockfin, and we're going to be making clips of this. I'm going to be isolating the entire um, the entire interview, that'll be up on YouTube and Rumble as well, all over the place. But come watch this live, call in afterwards. It's two clicks and you're over. The links have been put into the chat rooms and into the description. And if it's, uh, you don't know, if you're getting frazzled, you're like, well, where do I go? Just go to quitefrankly.tv and press play. And we'll be there um, waiting for you, and it's going to be a good one. Don't go anywhere. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Quite frankly. Let's go, Brandon. Quite frankly. And Roma Italia. Quite frankly. You're going on Frank's show tonight? I want to get a Coke. Can I get a Coke? So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? Oh, we are back, and it is a. It's a spooky night, man. I'll tell you, it's, I love this kind of stuff, but there is not an, Ashton, let me ask you something. Is the, is, yeah. I, I know, I can tell that you are, you love this kind of, this is a, this is stimulating, especially when you're the one that is uncovered. It's very Indiana Jones-ish, but there is a spookiness to it that, that oh, gets yeah. you too. You'll, it's, it's almost like going on a ghost hunt. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, I didn't say in the beginning, but, you know, we're really doing this for the families of the victims, the pilots that were vilified, the witnesses who have been discredited, the leaker who went to prison over these videos. Like, we've done these people uh, injustice by not telling the truth about what happened to this, uh, to this plane. And, um, you know, it does feel like even if these videos are real and the events that we see are real, it's no guarantee that these people survive this event. I mean, we're talking about lithium ion battery fire spewing toxic chemicals. We're talking about plane potentially being depressurized where these pilots are trying to keep people alive. Um, you know, it's a horrible situation no matter what. And my heart goes out to the families of the victims for sure. You know, and I know we're going to get into theories now. Uh, well, mm -hmm. I still want you were going to show um, yeah. you were going to show some more footage. Well, let's do that in a second. But okay. th th I'll tell you, there's one thing that's coming up for me right now when I think about what happened, what happened, why, who's involved, what does this matter? And we're going to go into the, the history of what could it be. But mm -hmm. I know when you bring up the fire situation and how this really, really does seem to be um, a, a serious consideration here. Could it not be argued at this point that the use of this technology, whatever we're seeing on screen, take this this ailing plane out of the sky and somewhere else, it could actually be an act of rescue. Though, like you say, yeah. like you say, where the hell are they? The families are still without yeah. contact of everybody on the plane, or so, at least as much as we know. But why this plane? When why a plane that is suddenly on fire? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And I think we can get into that in a minute. Okay. A lot of that becomes speculative for sure. Um, I just want to show here some of the anomalies we see. We can see these dark lines are actually in front of the orbs here. And I have a better version as well that shows it pretty clearly. This is one where we've manipulated the video to see these dark lines pulling these orbs forward. These orbs are ignoring gravity. This circle that we see of the orb is not a dark, it's not a sphere. We're seeing the uh, non-radiating barrier that's been described to me. Essentially, this is like a bubble in space-time that we're seeing. And what this allows is for whatever is inside this orb to have zero mass. And if it has zero mass, then it can ignore gravity. You know, this, can, this is the technology that would explain uh, UAPs, if you believe in them, which I think that from the 2017 DoD Navy leaks, that there's definitely something flying around in our skies. Um, you know, it's been talked about in Congress recently as well. To me, this is gifting disclosure on a silver platter, is that what we're looking at here is technology that Maybe we've been able to get this advanced, but in my opinion, we needed a little bit of help to get this advanced. And these orbs don't look like what I would expect from UFOlogy, at least since I've been following it. They look like it's our version of you know that type of technology that's out there. And that's what makes this so scary here. But to your point then, yes, now we have human motivations at play, saving this plane, right? This is a doomed plane. If it crashes into the ocean, probably everyone's going to die. Um, so that's what we think we're seeing here, some type of teleportation event. This is not an explosion. The explosion would be much, much bigger. In fact, we're seeing an endothermic event, a cold event, which is an absorption of energy, the exact opposite of an explosion, which is an exothermic event, a release of energy. This would be white hot if this was an explosion. In fact, we'd see parts of the plane blowing up everywhere as well. That is incredible, uh, so, that, that that kind of a black spirally... Yeah. Look at this. And this is the slow-mo here. This is The slow-mo is just incredible because you can see the orbs converge on the plane in the last moment and then they flatten right here the orbs are flattening because we're seeing a gravitational lensing effect that they're producing this singularity or they're about to you can actually see the plane blur in this frame as well which is just completely wild in fact i have a slow-mo version of that as well i think this is the, the repeat one. Oh, hold on this one. so you should be able to see this 
So this one here, now this is the slow-mo of the dual color version. And you can see when I slow it down, I'll, I'll go back a frame. Um, this frame right here, you can really see the blur here happening, which would be uh, an indication that this is accelerating. The plane's accelerating towards the speed of light, potentially even faster than it. And then again, we can see this gravitational lensing happening here. So the science at play here is, you know, the most interesting part in my mind, at least what, what gets me excited about this. Um, but then if we talk about the motive real quick, and I'll stop sharing just for a second, there's 20 freescale semiconductor engineers and scientists on board this I'm plane. Glad, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I wanted to know yeah. about the manifest, especially the people of interest, uh, or if there was sensitive yeah. payload. What, yeah, what do you know about this? Yeah, so we looked into this. I couldn't believe how much evidence we found of this. Now, a lot of people had speculated very early on, even the days afterwards, that these 20 people had to be somehow related to the disappearance of the plane. 20 people from the same company is way too many. Basically, every big company that was as big as this company, this company broke off of Motorola because they had some advanced technology that you know didn't fit in with Motorola's business model. And that was in 20, 2004. Uh, again, the plane was likely doomed. So this then indicates a rescue situation. We found a 2005 National Security Agency report on the commercial development of room temperature superconductive chips that talks about freescale semiconductors nine different times in it. I was just looking at it going, wow. Uh, okay, well, here you go, bingo. This is this connects them directly to the advanced technology we're seeing here because when we talked about this non-radiating barrier, all the engineers and physicists and scientists talking to me were talking about that, well, you can either produce room temperature superconductivity with electrical currents or things like LK99, where we saw in the last few months, this room temperature superconductivity. So even before I started talking to engineers, I'm sitting here on Twitter blasting, these videos prove room temperature superconductivity. And then these people are coming to me going, yeah, you nailed it, like you guessed correctly. Um, so we've got a, a national security agency report from 2005. We also have uh, some press releases saying that Freescale Semiconductor launched a major initiative dedicated to serving the RF power needs of the US aerospace and defense sector. So now you have a situation where you're either trying to save your intellectual property. You are, if it's an espionage scenario, you're trying to prevent these scientists from going to China because whoever controls this technology controls the world. It could also be a test on a doomed plane. And then the newest theory that's popped up is what if one person is a VIP on this plane? Maybe it's one of those engineers, maybe somebody else, and they have enough clout and connections that they can just call in their rescue button and say, hey guys, I need you to rescue me. My plane is doomed and I need you guys to bail me out here. Ah. This could happen and be enough time for them to deploy the drone and to operationalize the satellite to be staring down right at this location. It may have just been a matter of opportunity and the right person being on board the plane. Uh, it, it could. And, you know, I want to read this to you. I got an email um, right before the show started. It's from Matt from Montana. He said, Frank, I'm listening to you discussing the recent MH370 news. This was uh, I, I had mentioned it on another show recently. He said, not sure if you know this, but there were 20 Freescale engineers on that plane. Freescale makes advanced chips, processor technology. Back when MH370 disappeared, Freescale was one of my marketing clients. Immediately after the disappearance, they canceled our contract. Anyway, the disappearing engineers just adds a wrinkle to the story, whether it means anything or not. And the other thing I would like to put out there, Ashton, is that I, I also knew and remembered, and I went back and I, and I saw it, that papers like The Guardian, they were reporting that there may have been as many as 100 AIDS researchers on the plane as well. Uh, now, what, what that has to do with any of this, that, that's uh, a little bit less compelling than people who are involved with you know high technology projects. Um, but still, uh, that uh, what you're saying right there is, as far as the maybe there was a VIP on, on, on the plane, that could go uh, hand in hand with the 
the fire situation uh, being what preempted a the use of this technology as an act of rescue. But then again, where did everybody's family members go? That's that's what I that that's a crazy thing. And and another thing, I'm just things are popping up for me now after all this time that you have been presenting us with this. What I thought of when I saw these videos getting around a few months ago, especially with the orbs itself, the various disclosure project testimonies, the various disclosure project testimonies of um, of uh, you know old military guys, or whatever, who were talking about this type of maneuverability, objects with this type of maneuverability disabling nuclear missiles in midair decades ago. And it looks exactly as I had pictured it in my in my head, where the uh, the missile, the projectile, would be going, uh, you know, on its path, and then an orb would show up. It would zap the top of it. It would circle around to the other. This is all while it's it, it's in flight. Circle around to the other time, zap it, zap it, and then it would just fall lifelessly to the ground. Um, when I saw this, I said, "Damn." It made me think of that. It made me think of what I know about the Philadelphia Project, Montauk, mm-hmm. the Nazi Bell, High Jump. I mean, it's uh, that's where yeah. I'm thinking. That's what I'm those going are, right. Yeah, those are repeated themes that I've heard from a lot of followers. I actually know exact video you're talking about with it disabling the missile or the rocket or whatever it was. Um, very interesting. And I'd seen a lot of that stuff from you know 2017 and on when I became interested in the phenomenon myself. But I'd never seen anything to the extent of what we've seen here, which is two of the most advanced, sophisticated electro IR cameras or IR cameras on the face of the earth, both with the exact uh, events in the same in sync, you know, like this. Uh, and that's what makes this footage so compelling. But one of the uh, implications of what we could do with this technology is similar to what you just mentioned, just wipe out any missile or nuke that might be coming at us, not even just teleporting it back to wherever it came from, but just actually annihilating it completely and then converting it to something else and having that the byproducts either just fall safely to the ground or get transported somewhere else itself. So the implications that we'll talk about with this technology are pretty major. One other thing I want to bring up is that we found this thing was Project Camelot interview. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you can hear when I share this. So if you can't, I will go ahead and say what he's saying here. But this is Mike Harris, who was a contractor for Motorola when Freescale split off. And he does this whole interview where he actually goes in a lot of the same evidence that we were just talking about. And at the end, he goes, can you hear this, by the way? I cannot. Okay. So he all of a sudden says, can I give you my silliest wild guess as to what happened in the plane? She doesn't even ask him. He says, I want to give you my silliest wild guess. Somebody somehow, somebody opened up an interdimensional portal and and the plane flew into it. And we don't know where it is or where it comes. Somehow it's lost for the time being. It fell in a hole. It's like, what? And she kind of laughs and he is not laughing. No, he's not. No, in he's this not. interview. Like this, we watched this. This is as weird as the Don Lemon thing where Don Lemon says, everyone's talking about black holes. Like, what? You know, like you go back, it's like almost like he's talking to us in the future, right? It's so bizarre. And apparently after this, she puts on a a comment on the video saying that after this, he was told to shut up and stop talking about it. Like, wow, this is pretty bizarre. Like, why would he just randomly throw that out there, right? It's almost like back in 2014, our conscious cannot accept that type of stuff to be possible. And only now in 2023, where we have these advanced scientific wormhole papers and other things that are very similar and consistent to this event, where we can go, wait a minute, like, is this type of technology actually possible? Like, you know, does this explain the double slit experiment, the most mysterious experiment in all of physics, non-locality, quantum entanglement, quantum teleportation? Can we really just scale that up to the macro level? And could we have done it 10 years ago? 
Mm. No, I, I think now, yes. Yes, we can. Yeah, and, and of course, the most obvious question that you're saying that I think anybody who's ever watched this before is where is the plane and where are the yeah. passengers? Because we're not talking about disintegration. We're talking about transportation, uh, teleportation. And if the military wanted to test this technology, why didn't they use it on one of their own craft? Uh, no, or the one that they bought, right? The GA Telesis one is an exact replica. Maybe they tested it out on that first. I don't know. I know. I mean, so, I mean, n nobody would have noticed. Instead, someone thought it would be a good idea to make civilian airliner disappear, prompting family members to start asking a lot of questions. And this was also major news at the time, but it was a current thing when it happened. But the why? It's just, yeah. it's some, it's unless, and now here's the thing. There's probably a lot of skeptical people out there. They're just like, sure. well, why? Well, probably because it's all bullshit. Well, <laughs> I know you have spent so much of your time. Um, it must be just nauseating at this point, uh, debunking the debunkers. But uh, where are, we? I, I know that you have a, a sizable bounty out there right now. Yeah. It's just gotten to that point where you're just like, Here's nearly $200,000 if somebody can pr produce the hoaxer. Well, how's that been? Yeah, so, you know, when Kim.com, Anonymous got involved, Chad and Sherry of the uh, Investigate Earth podcast have been huge supporters. I've had people who have run for higher office be supporters. So we had Kim.com throw out a $100,000 bounty. I, it was a genius idea because it really pushes back on the debunkers. A lot of the debunked stuff is, well, this doesn't look right. I don't think this looks right. But the reality is there's not a single discrepancy on a single frame of either of these videos. So the people, stuff that people think look wrong, they're saying, oh, well, this is a graphic from a 90s video game that we see here that literally does not match, but people want to believe that it matches. You know, um, it doesn't match on even a single frame. And all you have to say is how many pixels match. Nobody will answer the question because they know it doesn't match. They try to, Then they try to claim, oh, well, someone could have modified it. But then you tell them, well, it's an original source. So it's not like you have the something to compare it to, to try to turn it into, right? Um, and then they, the whole thing kind of breaks apart. And so instead of trying to go back and forth with people, you know, we, I started my own podcast to understand the science because the science does check out and we will get uh, vindicated down the road as the science eventually leaks out to the public. But instead this, this a bounty came up hundred thousand dollars from Kim.com, $20,000 from Chad and Sherry of the investigate earth podcast, $25,000 from a wealthy donor who has run for higher office, who I'm in touch with on a daily basis, as well as I threw in my own 5,000 because I've got some skin in the game as well. Um, all somebody has to do if they think the videos are fake, find the supposed Banksy level master VFX hoaxer who has better skills than top gun Maverick, uh, lead VFX artist, better skills than the person who put together a lot of the Marvel movies with the hot top VFX expert, top more skills than people who have millions of subscribers on YouTube and bring the source files. Mm -hmm. They would not have produced these in one go. They would have had to spend time producing them painstakingly going through them, et cetera. You know, bring the source files to us. You can collect 150,000. I don't think it's going to ever happen because these videos are real, but that's the pressure that we've applied out there to anyone who thinks that they're fake. And I understand that there's a huge amount of ontological shock that goes along with thinking that macro scale teleportation, or as we were referring to it, uh, macroscopic phase conjugation, macroscopic quantum coherence is what's happening that is allowing the electrons to break apart from their equilibrium, form a cohesive matter wave, which allows something as large as a 777 to obtain the properties of an atom, a quantum object, which then can, like we see the orbs, be displaced from space-time. When you have this displacement of space-time happening, the mass goes to zero, mass reduction. Once your mass goes to zero, it doesn't even take a lot of energy to push something to the speed of light. This is one thing that I found out. And so, you know, 
essentially all the science we think is going to check out here. And this technology is going to lead to breakthroughs that will, you know, break the minds of a lot of people that are out there because it means that we've been getting lied to about pretty much everything our entire lives, even myself. It's not like I'm immune to this ontological shock. When I first saw this, I was so shook that, and, and I realized from the investigation of being like the person investigating that this was real. Like I even had to go to my own parents and ask if I was in some kind of Truman Show level prank situation going on that, I mean, didn't make a lot of sense, but that at the time seemed more likely than this type of technology and science being real to me. And of course, when they told me, no, you're, we're not pranking you in a Truman Show type situation, then I started to get you know, even a little bit more afraid. But after a while, the shock goes away and you start to realize, yes, we can live with this technology, but this is what we call catastrophic disclosure, is this is a technology that the government is covering up from us for national security purposes, because it's that dangerous, because it is that much of an advantage. It's almost breakaway civilization level technology to the point where whoever has this is just so much more advanced than anyone else. Yes. Um, some of the implications here real quick, um, faster than light communication, force fields and cloaking. I think these are some of the least controversial aspects and uh, uh, implementations of technology. Teleportation of macro scale objects like we see, complete annihilation of nukes, missiles, etc. It's like perfect defense mechanism. Yeah, wipe you know, out anything that gets sent at you. On that on that front right there, it really makes you wonder about the what has nuclear deterrence really actually been about for and, and for how long because. Uh, if what we're talking about tonight is real and there has been nothing so far to, to, you know, in your work and in how people are been, have been responding to it that has really, uh, been able to, to poke any major holes in it. But if we're talking that this is just really it, um, this is 2014 and we're we're talking about the, the the objects around the plane alone. They look very very much like the kind of uh, the movement capa- capable capable uh, objects that we saw leaked from the 2004 Tic Tac objects. We also know that you know the Nazi bell and and, and uh, anti gravitic technology has been uh, at least in prototype use since the early 20th century. So uh, that whole idea of planned obsolescence and what is hidden from us being so far advanced from what we can conceive of on a consumer level that really makes you wonder uh how much of the uh, there's a lot of people out there who believe that the cold war was just one big uh nonsensical charade but uh the cold war the thing that gave it all of its bite was that we were living under the constant threat of nuclear engagement well uh i mean you look at this and you say uh, is it possible that anything could ever land, any nuclear uh, warhead could ever land on any place in the Earth without it absolutely wanting, they planning to be let landed? If this thing can't go there and make all those things just disappear, um, the, I, I don't know. It's it's crazy. To, it's crazy to think about how long nuclear proliferation yeah. has been a problem, and here we are. And that was 80 years ago. Yeah, we dropped a nuke, right? So uh, what have we been doing since then? Nothing. No, we've definitely been advancing, right? And this is the part where I don't know if we just got this advanced in the last 80 years, if we maybe these UIPs, UIP hearings do have truth to them and that we found either buried craft or something, we've been able to reverse engineer it over that period of time. Not entirely sure. What I can say is this technology is uh, definitely being suppressed from the people, right? And that it can change the circumstances of everybody on this planet, essentially. So some of the other applications are fusion power, portable fusion power. I mean, we see this non-radiating barrier of the orb. Just imagine you have a little miniature sun in there producing energy, right? 
You can also have free energy if you create an open system that is able to uh, borrow the energy from the vacuum of space-time. And then therefore, the amount of energy we put into this system produces more out of it than we put in. That's a free energy system. You could also have uh, doomsday weapons. That's really the dark side of this. A lot of people from the disclosure uh, campaigns and groups seem to just think that this is about hover cars and floating uh, you know, spaceships and nukes and disabling nukes now. We really have to look at it with a realistic perspective. We are talking about something that's uh, almost infinitely more powerful than nuclear weapons to the point where you might be allowing one single person the capability to blow up the entire planet or destroy the entire planet. Um, and you might even be able to allow, if you scale this up, to the point of destroying the sun. Um, you might even be able to create our own Big Bang with this kind of technology. That's the real implications of this. So what this now becomes about is um, talking about it, disclosing the information, what does it mean? How do we use it responsibly? How do we make sure we do not destroy ourselves? That's where I think this conversation goes ultimately. But going back to the case, the thing here is we need the government to weigh in. We need the government. We need to force them to make a statement. We have to get this thing loud enough that the government must respond because we have so much evidence here. I'm not afraid of a courtroom. I'll take any jurors out there and we'll convince them this is real with the weighted evidence that we have out here. So we need the government to come out here to either say we can't confirm or deny anything because that would indicate this classified footage and that it's real, or they just need to do the right thing and admit this real, admit they were staring at MH370. We've already proven it with the satellites. Tell us what the truth is. Let the families get, you know, find their truth. They're going to sue the U.S. government, which is what should happen anyway. And let's just rip the Band-Aid off, right? Let's just get rid of the lies. There's too much bull crap out there right now on social media that people believe. We need something that's true in this world where we can rally around it get past the division, start to unify towards a common purpose, which is the future trajectory of our civilization. Uh, you know, with all that being said, and you're now we're talking about disclosure and we're talking about wrapping it up in, in resolution and how do we move forward, going back to the question of who the uploader is or why we're even looking at this right now, there's a lot of honest work being done out there, um, especially in disclosure movements over the years, uh, anybody who really had uh, honest intent to try to dig into what is not being told about technology that we hold or the nature of the universe at large, those have been uh, the, the, the most honest people out there have been the ones who, you know, were the lightning rods over the course of over the course of years and decades where they were be they were the the uh, the heels in sitcoms and they were always made to look crazy and all that. And then came 2017 where we had a mua mua. And we had the Tic Tac objects. And all of a sudden, we have um, ABC to NBC and everybody else talking about UAPs and UFOs. And now there's this. And I wonder, because none of them have weighed in on this yet. This is a purely internet operation and a debate that's being sparked right now. But whereas there is a lot of honest work being done out there, a lot, most of the big mainstream disclosure projects are largely driven by technocrats. I mean, you have... Uh, uh, people, you know, in a lot of those uh, documentaries, a lot of these pushes, I mean, the, the Clintons, the Podestas, these are people that are that are always wanting to know uh, about what's going on with with uh, high technology and UFOs and all that. So my last question to you is how much time have you spent contemplating not so much the authenticity of the footage, but why, what the, the intention behind the release was? Yeah, a lot. And I think this is the part where I will go ahead and go through who we've identified as the leaker. This is some of the investigation that I'm most proud of. Uh, I thought that we would have a very good psychological profile for the person that leaked this. 
that this person was uh, likely a U.S. military personnel because of the assets we're seeing, probably an operator because they had the knowledge to remove the HUD data from the drone as well as add the thermal layer. They probably had an emotional reaction considering Regicide Anon says they received it four days later. Also means they probably had to be there that night, potentially on one of the AWACS that was in the area. They had cropped the drone out of the satellite footage, indicating they probably weren't trying to damage U.S. intelligence. They might have cropped other assets out as well. They might not have even intended to leak the drone footage initially. They probably just wanted us to have enough information to solve the mystery of MH370, including the coordinates um, and the location of the plane. They had to probably convince Regicide Anon that what they were looking at was authentic satellite footage. There would have been no basis in 2014 to understand what we were looking at with satellite footage. So this could be why it took them so long from the receive date to actually upload the footage. They may have thought that they were looking at UFOs. This is very important because when we look at the video name, it says satellite video airliner and UFOs. doesn't say MH370 in it. It's only three days after that Regicide Anon makes a Twitter post saying, watch this before it's deleted and tags MH370. If the person was an operator and they didn't even know about this technology, they may have thought they weren't even damaged U.S. intelligence. They might have thought they were just showing some UFO video of the UFOs, you know, uh, abducting the plane. And then later on, they get charged and they're going, well, why I got charged? You know, I wasn't trying to do anything bad. So they go, well, you just gave away the secrets of our super advanced technology, right? So we find Ed, Lieutenant Commander Edward C. Lynn. He checks every box. Every article about him is talking about SIGINT, signals intelligence, which is how these assets are relaying information together in a network. He flew as a Special Projects uh, Patrol Squadron VPU-2, highly uh, classified, top secret um, uh, program. He had a top, above top secret access with access to compartmentalized information. He flew in the Lockheed Martin EP-3 Ares-2, which has real-time SIGINT and full motion video intelligence. The crew fuses battlefield-collected intelligence along with offboard data for battlefield situational awareness. His job was actually to relay information from those planes to commanders. The code name for his arrest and uh, trial was Operation Rogue Archer. Uh, his last deployment, the time frame narrows it down to having to be MH370. He was deployed Mar or February 2014. He got reassigned March 25th, 2014, just a couple weeks later. And remember, this was captured on a Citrix environment, so this person knew they were going to get caught. And they probably got caught very quickly afterwards, or at least suspected. The investigation into him began April 2nd, 2014, just a week after he gets reassigned. His next assignment is the brig in September of 2015. Um, in May of 2014, he accidentally left two flight manifests in his flight suit from an operation that included search and rescue code names. So, I mean, that has to be MH370. The defense argued that the classified information in, uh, in question is available on the internet. He ended up pleading guilty to two charges of mishandling classified information. He was arrested September 2015. We believe that the reason why he was arrested later on is because they had to put some delay in there. Otherwise, people would have been able to tie it, his situation to the plane. I mean, we were able to tie it even with this. But if he gets arrested in like May of 2014, people are going to be able to figure out right away that this is something to do with the disappearance of the plane. And where is he right now? I'll get to that here in a second. Charges that would have resulted in life in prison. Um, first major incident of a espionage by an active duty member since the end of the Cold War. He had heavily redacted charge sheet. He was friends on Facebook with General Flynn, so he was very connected. He had knowledge it would be useful to potential adversaries, but they ended up uh, saying that it wasn't really a spy case. They didn't have any evidence that he relayed any information with anyone from China. And the uh, few other small things, agents didn't properly advise him of his charges while they're interrogating him. They kept him in pretrial detainment, even though the judge's evidence for why he was a risk was really mundane stuff. 
So they were obfuscating what the real reasons were for his confinement. He ends up taking a plea deal, gets rid of all the other charges, except for the charges of mishandling classified information. He ends up getting a nine-year sentence. We actually found the appeal. This is brand new information. I haven't posted out there yet. He appealed a few years later, and he tried to argue that the the, um, the punishment that he got was extremely severe, which I agreed as well. I looked at other people. Most people that got classified information mishandling was like a year probation, almost nothing. So they pretty much threw the book at this guy. He got three years taken off of his suspended of his uh, charges because he worked with the FBI and NCIS, and then issued a statement saying that you know what he did was wrong and that he should stand as you know um, evidence for why people shouldn't do what he did. And so he got out of prison probably a few years ago. We don't know exactly. Oh. I FOIA'd the FBI and NCIS. The NCIS got back to me, and they told me that they were going to withhold my FOIA in total due to the interest of national defense or foreign policy. And this, his appeal as well is basically all about how we damage national defense. Mm-hmm. So again, this all goes back to the videos, all goes back to the Technology Act state here. It wasn't a spy case. Um, the foreign policy part is probably due to MH370 as well, and yeah. the fact that the U.S. government had to work with Malaysia and other governments. That, it's, it's, so he, so he's alive. He's out there. Yeah, we believe he's out there. I was able to, um, I think, get in touch with him. So I found a phone number that I had very good degree of confidence that was his phone number. Somebody picked up and hung up. Uh, I sent him a couple text messages on that phone number, saying that I would do anything to protect him if he gave me a sign. Um, that, you know, he's my hero, and this is true. I would do anything for this guy. I would take a bullet for him. In my mind, somebody who did this, especially when you think about disclosure, this is the exact thing that we would need to have happen in order for disclosure to get out to the public, for true disclosure, for it to happen from our terms to public, not from the government. I don't think the government will ever admit to this kind of thing. They have a slow drip timeline, most likely, that probably extends tens, if not hundreds of years for this information to come out unless this technology gets forced out in some kind of war or something like that. I also believe they have an acclimation process where they're trying to get people used to it, like you were talking about with those reports that have come out in the last few years, because otherwise this is just too much ontological shock for a lot of people. It means that our governments have been lying to us, that they've been withholding technology that could reshape the world. Um, Just if you think about it from the legal implications, the amount of legal implications and the people that they have discredited, I mean, we're talking billions, if not trillions of dollars in lawsuits. Um, you know, I could even bankrupt the entire nation with how many lawsuits it would be. Oh, Not yeah. to mention the uh, unconstitutional aspects that are going on with the misappropriation of money. I mean, do we really think it's just as coincidence the Pentagon can't pass a budget audit? Like, they can't pass it because they're misappropriating this money for this type of defense and they can't admit to it and leave any paper trail because otherwise people are going to be able to figure it out. And this is why you use third party contractors because you can't FOIA the third-party contractors, but you can keep them under NDAs. I also have it on good authority that anybody that tries to reproduce this technology, produce a gravitational wave, which is what this essentially is required to make this stuff happen, is going to get a knock on their door. They're going to get sucked into the system, either forced into the DOD and under an NDA, or work as a contractor for them, just like Lockheed Martin, just like Northrop Grumman, et cetera. I think we're looking at Lockheed Martin technology here. Oh, I, well, uh, Ashton, I mean, there's, there's uh, I'm sure we can find more to talk about, but this is, <laughs> uh, I'm glad that all this is on the record over here on, quite frankly, uh, especially for, for our viewers, and there's a lot of people who just met you for the first time tonight, and uh, even though you're going to go off uh, into the sunset here and just 
continue on with your work and also make tons of other appearances. I know that you're going to be a little bit short on time in the in the months to come, but uh, I would love to have you back at some point to do an update on things, especially if um, if uh, even more confirmations on what is already an astounding um, situation that comes to light. Yeah, and I think we didn't even get through everything. There's so much more. People can follow my Twitter if they want, at JustXAshton, to figure out the, the newest, most latest breaking details that are coming out there. I keep thinking we're at the bottom of the barrel, but then we keep coming up with more. One last thing I want to say is I don't think that Congress even has any idea of what we're dealing with here. You know, I watched a video yeah. of Matt Gates from the UAP hearings, and he's talking about he's the only one who's even seen one of these videos in Congress, and that he's like sure that it's non-human technology. And I'm just sitting there looking at my investigation going, wait, but this is Lockheed Martin technology. How, how does Congress have no idea that we are potentially at this level of technological advancement, uh, that this is national security situation? So I think that Congress, if that's true, they need to be a little bit enlightened in terms of what's going on. And even if people can't believe in the technology, I mean, follow the money, right? There's These are black budget programs. This is where the money's going. So I would appeal to Congress in that sense. Well, let's hope that that appeal is heard. And uh, with people like you out there, you let us know what this show can do to contribute to, uh, to anything going forward because it's it's really, really um, interesting and enthralling. And like you said, it, it could be uh, it could be world history changing. And there's a lot happening over the next 25 years. So uh, it, it's it's cool to to be rooting for something that is pro humanity. And, and that's what I I say that, that this would this would be if uh if your efforts bear out thank you for everything ashton i have your link i I just put your the link to your twitter in the description of this episode because i figure that's where most of your daily work is being published and from there they can find everything else but again anything that you want to send over to us if there's updates you want us to make uh you know an announcements we i'd love to have the updates so uh just you got friends over here so keep in touch Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it, man. All right. Have a good one, my man. Have a good one. There you go. There goes uh, Ashton Forbes. And ladies and gentlemen, now um, we're going to take a really, really quick break. It's 8.35 p.m. Very, very quick break. If you're watching right now, take out your phones and get ready. 914-200-0269. And for the last 20 minutes, we're going to get your opinions on things. And I'm going to read your super chats. So uh, don't go anywhere. Just whip the phones out. Send in some gold pills. Send in, quite frankly, superchat.com. You can still send thing, th things there. I'd love to read your thoughts onto the record and take some of your telephone calls. Be right back. <laughs> Matt, what happened? Koreans took my legs. They took my legs, Aurora. Hold up. Your own safety should be your utmost priority. You understand? That should be numero uno. Oh my God. Oh my God, we're dead. We're dead. We're dead. Oh, I know this shortcut. Hang on, this is a little dirt trail. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, is this a turn right here? Shoot, crap. Everyone, hang on. I'm sorry. I love you. I love you so much. I'm so sorry.
my god! Oh my QFTV's got music, movies, video roundup, throwback, vintage frankly episodes, and so much more. So hang out, chill, nightly, at quitefrankly.tv. I was told by a genetic engineer about a project they were on in England once, and I never told the story on air because it's so fantastical. tanks, people with gills, and they're little babies, and they were in there just gulping, clawing at the sides. You see a turtle at the zoo, and it wants out, and you feel for it. They got humanoids crossed with fish and stuff. I mean, we are screwed, people. I mean, do you understand that? Okay, boy, boy, do we got a lot here. So, let me start with Rock uh, uh, Rumble. Rumble had Mike Baldwin. Mike Baldwin, our good friend, our comedian friend, says, "Hey Frank, I love you. Love your show. Would you mind reminding the folks that my comedy special drops in about an hour? It's called Number One Top Selling Best Comedy Special Ever." That's from Mike Baldwin. Uh, Mike, where on Amazon? You should have told me where. I'll get it. Just email me or something, and I'll make sure that I have that out tomorrow. I'll let everybody know. Um, now, 925YLG sends a bunch, says, are you a chicken nugget? Who says I'm a chicken nugget? You're a chicken nugget. Uh, we up no something. And then Merry Christmas, Gilded. There you go. 925YLG representing the Gilded in the Rumble Rants over there. I appreciate that, YLG. I do. Okay, so now let's get to quite frankly superchat.com and we are going to uh, start taking your calls. Ray from NJ says, Frank, once again, a really big show, uh, a big shoe, as Ed Sullivan would say. Keep kicking butt with that shoe. Blessings to your family. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Radar. Uh, Jay Britz, great show, Frank. Your efforts are appreciated. And then you have from Stostube. Jay Britz and Stostube have become like the dynamic duo over there. Thank you. So we had almost a thousand people. Uh, I think we're at the high water mark for all of our our uh, second half of the streams now at uh, build.net, foxhole, quite frankly.tv. We're at the high water mark. And remember, uh, it's a quite frankly throwback Thursday after we end here tonight. Uh, we have a vintage December Frankly episode with retro variety and holiday nostalgia all night long on quitefrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole. So you don't have to go anywhere. If you're watching this live right now, you don't have to go anywhere for the rest of the night. And I'll see if we can get... I think we might put the Alex Jones and Tucker video into the weekend roundup tomorrow night just to keep it on theme and 
and we'll uh, we'll see what happens there. Okay. And on uh, and on pill.net, let's read your gold pills and then your phone calls. NJSF, thank you. Empress bitch to you says good evening, Frank, and one and all. Donasar, thank you. Chai Possum says Merry Christmas, Frank. Great shirt. Show me what it says, please. Uh, I think it says Seasons Eatings. And you have a little boy and a girl tearing apart a, a an unfortunate gingerbread man. Uh, let's see here. PQuest, thank you. Cave Toad, thank you, Frank. And your guest for the show, the hard work. This is so intriguing. Frank, can you cut this interview into a clip on Rumble that can be shared? Oh, yes. This interview, this whole in interview will be put together, put on Rumble. It, it may even go on to YouTube because we're not talking about vaccines or anything like that. I might be able to put it on YouTube as well. I want to get portions of this show, large and small, all over the internet, as well as archiving the entire episodes on certain sites. So, you know, that's, I was trying to tell people that, um, what we were what we're trying right now with the exclusive live streams in the second half is really opening up the door to putting so much more quite frankly to cast the net so much wider um that's what we're putting into place now in fact tomorrow very exciting i have a four o'clock teleconference meeting uh with our our buddy our video director and also my friend mike may who is a, uh, a college professor around here, and our first two interns, our first two video interns. We got college interns now, and we're going to maintain those two interns every, so I don't know what that's gonna do for us over the summer, but um, now we're bringing, we're bringing in interns. We got a whole, I'm telling you. Stick with me, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're trying some things. The Sentinel says, great show. I remember that plane being a mystery and Don Lemon mentioning black holes. Wild video. Mm-hmm. The Sentinel again says, the whole thing made me think of the show Fringe and Eureka. So let's take, uh, let's take a few calls here now, too. And, you know, now, it doesn't have the same exact feeling as the paper mache Mexican alien disclosure that we got over the summer. But, you know, for this to be on YouTube and not be a big deal for a while, it's, it's part of the reason why I initially looked at it and then looked at the, the orb video and blip away. It's the reason why I initially looked at this and then just filed it, filed it away under Wheel C and just watching how this has been developing. Um, and the other thing there, too, I know Anonymous pushed it out there. But they mainly pushed out Greg Reese's work. Now, I love Greg Reese. He's another one I'd love to have on this show. I love Greg Reese's work. Uh, but just because I'm Anonymous put it out there doesn't really move the needle for me at all. Okay? Because especially the official Anonymous social media accounts in recent years, that has not been anything to write home about. Uh, they, they, they've been reduced to shilling for NATO. Uh, taking orders from Hillary Clinton. You remember when she called on Anonymous to go after Putin? And they're like, you got it, boss lady, for freedom. So I know that they were just pretty much re-uploading Greg Reese's work there. Uh, anyhow, let's take a call. First call is from Javi. Javi in, in Houston. What's going on, Javi? What do you think tonight? 
Damn, brother. How you been, man? I'm doing all right. It's been a while since we heard your voice. I have, man. God, and, you know, you're kicking ass and taking names. It's harder to get in now and all the different ways to do so. So God bless you, brother. Well, anyway, it's good to hear from you. And, and you always have a uh, the bat line over there on Twitter. So, so what are your, uh, your big takeaways, big questions from tonight? Man, bro. <clears throat> Mind-blowing shit. Um... The interdimensional shit, because now it's like more than one person, it's more than one organization, um, more and more prevalent, and of course, we always have to kind of sprinkle in the uh, esoteric predictive programming in movies, like he was talking about the Marvel shit, like they go to great lengths in the Marvel movies to talk about, like, uh, it's called the quantum realm, that's how they enter into this interdimensional space. They come in and come out through different points to do all the shit they're doing. But, I mean, just in general, man, wow, just breakaway stuff. That's where, that's where I always go to, like he's saying, uh, breakaway societies and shit we might not be prepared to deal with, brother, to be brutally honest. <laughs> I know, I, I know. And, and, you know, just like last night, just like last night with Ben Davidson, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I don't know uh, – I don't know one way or another if if uh, with what Ben is saying is going to, to to bear out. I surely hope that he's wrong. But what I do when I bring on a guest, and especially if, to, to talk about work that they're doing on a specific topic, is I sit back with my limited knowledge by trying to have some really good follow-ups ready. And then I, just like everybody in the audience, I try to be a judge of what the logical consistency of their theory is or what their work is 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 really describing what situation the work is describing and between last night and tonight i i I see consistent logic and i've i've read i've read the debunkers in threads on reddit i've watched the 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 debunking of the debunkings and uh it's just one of those things where um i it, it completely jives with everything that we say and everything that we have come to believe is really the 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 unpublished reality of the world that we live in. The kind of technology that's available, um, the things that are done without us knowing, and how we're just kind of aloof, and this is just happening around us. That makes me believe it one hundred percent. I mean, there's there's such a long history of technology like this being being worked on in prototype form and beyond. I, I just uh, it, you know. I, it's very easy for me to 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 believe it now coming face to face with it like like ashton said that is always the biggest test once you actually see something that you in 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 uh any other situation had a little bit more of a cozy time talking about it with your college buddies over a hookah you know life you know life outside of earth into the you know dimensions string theory all these stuff these things that you can just kind of get down with and and talk with your friends it's another thing to actually see it happen and then having to say okay uh this has become very very real for me and that's where we are right now tonight and then one one other thing brother the when he's he went to great lengths to talk about that aehs system the the precursor to that was uh millstar so i was in okinawa my last year in the marine corps when that navy ep3 crashed and I was one of like two radio operators that can uh, operate a certain satellite satcom system. So they let me in there, and I was watching in live time 
that Milstar, those are the smaller ones, the lower orbit ones that he's talking about. And we literally could see that fucking plane in China and those dudes, those sailors would look up. It was insane, like how clear and accurate that is. And so, so for that so system to scan a large amount of space that it's doing, like he was saying, and then um, that's what, when I saw that, when I first saw that footage with uh, through Kim.com, that's when I was like, oh, shit, that looks like, it reminded me of that. So, so Javi, it was kind of mind blowing to me. Javi, last question before I take a couple more calls, and and maybe we'll do a couple of minutes overtime tonight because I I want to hear what people are saying about this. I don't want to just have two calls, but um, uh, so from your experience, is it one of those things where if there is an incident that happens in any part of the Earth, uh, that every every square mile of the Earth it can be called upon almost like a, a a global ring cam where you can go back you can go back an hour or so at a certain part of the earth and see the entirety of the sky mapped out if there is an in-flight collision it can be gone back and and and, and analyzed or is this something where you need to know what you're looking for and you have to set up your cameras and wait for it to happen kind of a thing oh no brother it's you can you can look at that shit live like you was saying, and then so no no no. But I'm talking eight, I'm, I'm talking about the ability the ability to capture everything. Like, do you need to consciously be looking at that that spot in uh, over Malaysia to see this thing happen in real time, or uh, is it one of those things where you hear about a plane disappeared and then you can just go back and see what your cameras had had caught at the day and, and you have the entire world mapped out with these uh with these lenses that you can always go back and watch something even if you weren't looking at it when it was happening live i guess yeah, you're just saying yeah right it would um just the nature of satellites whether it's uh line of sight okay so it would have to they would have to look for an area and then look okay at it. so that's that's a little bit more of a conscious thing there thank you for the calls javi all right, brother. Have a good one, man. All right, there you go. 914-200-0269. Want to take some more of your calls? And uh, we also have a tip on Rockfin. Let's see what this is. Uh, Nighthawk says, hey, Frank, what an amazing show tonight. Wondering if this disappearing plane ties into MH17 in some fashion. Oh, that is a question that, uh, that's a good question. And perhaps I'll be able to ask it of Ashton when he comes back sometime in the future for a a follow-up hopefully we have enough in the bank with him to have that happen but he he he's gonna get got his time is gonna get gobbled up now here's the other thing for me and you guys and gals you let me know what you think if you thought you knew who the leaker was and you found this military guy and you looked through his record you saw the charges he was brought up on the timeline in which all this stuff was being lobbed at him the time he spent in jail what's going on and and you knew you think you know who it was would you ever publicize his name because i i I may i may have kept that very close to my chest and reached out to him in secret and said all that stuff but that seemed a little that seemed a little weird that that seemed like you can you can get somebody who already did six years in prison and may just want to get back to some kind of semblance of a normal life you can get him in trouble there too maybe even killed 
so that's that's one thing that popped up for me along the way. Uh, Mr. Moriarty from TruthQuest, what's going on, Aaron? Hey, Frank, great show. Um, boy, when that footage first came out, I thought it was fake, and, you know, I, I don't know, but thinking about it reminds you of something. Andrew Bushago was telling me that he was told by a very high-ranking Navy official in recent years that there is a chrome lever on some of the Navy ships. They can move the lever and instantly teleport from one area of the world to another. And they also have this fitted in some of the airplanes. And he even said that he was told that when we were bombing Kosovo, they would take off from here, teleport to Kosovo, drop the bombs, turn around, and teleport back. Wow. So so that, that plane may have been equipped with this technology. That could be the answer right there. Oh, here's the thing. It's, it's one of those Malaysian flights, uh, and, and it seemed, obviously, like, like if this was a, a, fire, a fire incident, it, it it more so looks like a technology was deployed to intercept the plane. It, it wasn't military. Um, there were some pretty important, I, you'd have to say, important people on on board. So I don't know if it was a modified plane, and if it was in some way, man, it, it was uh, it was shoddy construction with the the lithium ion batteries, you know, blowing up and all that shit. So I, who knows uh, ultimately, but from what we're just, we're seeing tonight, whether that was just a function of the plane or whether the technology was rolled out to intercept the plane, there is something there is something that is playing out on screen that is very very unusual, and have. I know that Andrew has. Um, I know that uh, Andrew Bashago has vision problems, and I haven't spoken yeah. to him in 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 quite a few months. I hope he's well, and I know that you are close with him. But is this uh, obviously this is something that would have to be described to him? I don't think he'd be able to even analyze the footage, right? Right, right. He's got no no internet right now either. Oh, no, he couldn't see it anyway. Well, but, uh, that 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 is some. Um, that that is some feedback that I would I would uh, be interested in in getting there. But anyway, uh, thank you for the call, Aaron. You betcha. Hey, hey, and come on the Truth Quest sometime. I'd like to interview you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Email me. All right. Groovy. All right. Groovy later. Like a record. Have a good one. There you go. There's uh, Aaron Moriarty of Truth Quest. All right. Let's take a call. Five six one. How are you, Florida? Hey there, Frank. How you doing, buddy? It's uh, Jr. Rh negative nine free Satan. Hello, Jr. Go ahead. So, hey, are we talking about the plane thing, or you want to talk about aliens, or what? No, no, we're talking about the well. I mean, it's been a single topic show tonight, so it's the plane thing. Give us a couple of a uh, couple of concise thoughts, so we can take a few more callers. Yeah, I know it's tight. So on the plane thing, you know, Phil McConnell covered it pretty good with that. Uh, autopilot thing that they were stolen it came down and used it in 9-11 but he also on that there was chinese banker system thing going back being in that as passengers okay. i heard him mention something about passengers i like that guy I, ashton I, I do too so so explain what you just said there again as far as what autopilot uh, uh about that did you try <laughs> maybe may, help me uh, exp, uh understand what exactly you're getting at because i think i'm missing the point well as it turns out this uh, marine guy maybe you don't know phil mcconnell 
Anyhow, he had a sister, and she is like was the first one installed as the SES director, Marcy, uh, Christine Marcy. Okay. And she would, so Carter put her in charge of the SES, and she took over the Fed prisoner program. And she's flying to planes and talking to field and saying, hey, you know, I don't understand how it is we got to do all this plane thing. We know the security. And he's so field not thinking or knowing much. He says, oh, you just install an autopilot thing on it. And then if something happens and they get the pilot out, the plane's going to still fly to destination. She took it. She used that now in all their systems. But it's put in all these planes now where they can take over the plane and do what they want with it. And that was the tie into 9-11. Okay. Christine Marcy okay. Okay. did all the dark shit. Like, I, see, I see what you're saying as far as how that could, that could um, you know, play into a situation where we're, where, and thank you for the call, my friend, um, uh, where we're talking about remote controlling planes and being able to, to hack into cockpits. And, and I remember we had quite a few, quite a few uh, aviation people in our audience come in with differing, differing opinions on how, how much of that is actually possible. And I mean, listen, there's, we have fleets of unmanned aircraft, so we know that air, airplanes can be unmanned and remote controlled. But as whether or not you can actually uh, uh, override pilots and do their your thing there, that's another thing. Now, as far as where an override would be in this scenario, I don't know. If you're saying, Frank, where could a remote control plane uh, aspect of this story come into come into play? Well, you can say, well, uh, if you you can take take control of the plane and bring them out to a, a a spot in the ocean where it's a little bit more discreet for a disappearance. I I, I mean, I, you can also just tell the pilots, hey, go to this go to this core these coordinates, and we're going to zap you out of there. But then again, they never came back. That's the big thing here. We're talking about the disappearance of a plane. You know, there was no there was no debris. I saw the reports of it, but that's paltry compared to what you know should have been scattered along the Indian Ocean if a 777 went down. I'm just hey, th- th- that's what it comes down to. Where's the plane? Whether we're talking teleportation uh, or not, what you know, whether these these videos are real or not that's always been the big thing where the hell is it so uh i mean this is some kind of david copper copperfield kind of a trick i don't think that the the families out there in malaysia would appreciate that very much and then you have the very sensitive uh the manifest of who's on there the tech there's been reporting on a large crew of uh of uh people who are you work on biological projects that are are very uh, important. Nine one four two zero 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 two six nine. Hello, sir. How are you? You're on the air. Hey, Frank. What's going on? Oh, nothing. Now that you you, you finished falling down the stairs. I know. I dropped my phone right the second you picked up. Okay. Well, as long as, long as long as you're well. Go right ahead. <laughs> Am I good? What oh I yeah, yeah. I can hear you fine. Go ahead. 
All right, cool. Um, so I just do, the first thing that I that came to my mind. I never saw the orb video, so that's that's wild. Um, but I, I, it made me think of when um, you remember when that building in Lebanon blew up? It was like a year ago or two oh, yeah. years ago, I think. There was a video where someone slowed it down to like super slow motion, and and all of a sudden there was a similar orb that came to the thing, and then the building just like blew up and left a crater, you know. So it there's there's no reason to believe that it's not some type of government technology that is, you know, maybe like you said, some, some incredible weapon, you know, of some fashion, you know, between there's, there's plenty of history of, of government shooting down airplanes just to test out, you know, you know, whatever weapons that they have or their new weapons or whatever, or, you know, I mean, just look at TWA 800 off the coast of, uh, you know, what it was a long Island where the, where the government just shot down a fucking plane. Yeah. You know, and, and so it took a while. Reason, there's no reason that, it could just be China, like you know, or you know, anybody really, you know, being like, what's what's Malaysia going to do back to us? You know, they essentially not a world power. They don't really have much backing. So you know, someone wants to go and test out their their new their new toy. You know, hey, let's just nuke this plane right out of the sky. You know, and and just you know, create a cover up backup story. But that that footage is absolutely wild. Yeah, and and, and I'm glad you brought up TWA 800. I, I would love to do a, a a night on on TWA 800 too. It, it's just crazy that right there off the coast of New York, we had a military wow. military shootdown of a commercial plane and. It's still, for for many many years, I don't think the public was ever given a chance to actually digest what happened. Uh, you know, it was it was. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What would you say? Art Bell did a great show about that. Uh, I found, you know, he's got like a a vault on on Spotify of like a bunch of his old shows, and he I forget the guest's name. They wrote a book about it. They were they were like just nailing facts left and right off the TWA 800. But either way, you know, like there's there's no reason that some some government wouldn't, like I said, just test out their new toy just to say, oh, well, this is the power that we have now, and then 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 you could say to your enemies, oh, you know. In behind closed doors, this is what we could do. do. Do you want this to happen to you? But either way, well, you know great, what? Great guests, great guests. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chris. What I'm going to do is I'm gonna actually going to look for that um, the the coast to coast TWA and uh, and and I will uh, I'll, I'll I'll try to get that into the 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 night owl playlist for Sunday night. Thank you for the call, my friend. I hope you have a good night. Thanks, man. You do the same. All right. Take care. Now, for everybody else, it's 9.03. We're going to jump off right now because the Thursday throwback episodes, uh, Thursday throwback after hours programming is going to go live. We have a really wonderful audience that's watching right now. I can't wait to get all this up uh, across our several uh, show-affiliated platforms. But let me just make sure I don't miss anything. Major Adams says it kind of makes the whole vaccine thing sound a bit trivial. Well, you know, who knows how it's all connected? It's all part of the same. Now, there's different levels. We know to the kind of unseen hand that runs all things. Uh, the reason why so much of this can can happen uh, over time is not only the, the distracting elements of the media and and education on the public, but that there's also compartmentalization among those who are doing their little task and bringing forth the new world order. The so-called new world order. So uh, I wouldn't say that those who are dabbling in uh, hidden high technology and those who are dabbling in the the laboratories of uh, Pfizer aren't working toward the same end. They just may not know too much about each other, each other's existence, let alone each other's um, tasks that have been assigned to them. 
So there's that. Thank you, Major Adams. Uh, Sally, Sally, or Sal Lyon says, you two would probably ding it as misinformation. Thanks for bringing it to us. Well, I, I, I'm just happy that I'm one of uh, quite a few out there who have been able to bring this story to air and to talk with Ashton. I think uh, our friend Tony Merkel did this on the confessions uh, com- uh, and the confessionals. And then uh, he was just, like I said, last week he was on with InfoWars. So there's a lot more. I'm sure that he's going to be doing a lot. So that's uh, that's that's something that we're going to keep an eye out for and hopefully have him back for an update. Um, Cave Toad says, new folks, go to Quite Frankly Forum. Yes, quitefrankly.tv. Go to the forum. It's free. That's where we uh, we set up for ourselves after we got kicked off of Reddit. That's where we build show threads. That's where I want to see people doing a lot of group um, uh, investigations and debating together. The forum is wonderful. All you need is an email address. And uh, it's at the top of the quite frankly.tv sign up, says Cave Toad. He loves being on that forum, and so do I. I have to go there and see what everybody's been doing. And thank you for the sleeve of cookies, Stostube. That's all I have for you tonight, ladies and gents. Tomorrow is Friday. I hope that Tony Black feels well enough to hang out with us. Um, if he needs another day or so to, uh, to, to, to rest up, one way or another, it'll be you, me, Matt. I think we might get a, uh, a brief call from Tony Arterburn from quitefrankly.gold because he wants to talk about gold prices right now and what he sees going on economically. That'll be a, uh, a brief little update, and then the rest of the night will be your typical Friday, looking for something to uh, joke about and take some calls and, and just kind of space out a little bit. All right, so with that, I hope you all have a wonderful evening. Keep in touch. What a, what a wonderful bubbling chat room over there on the foxhole. Look at that. I can't wait until we see a couple thousand people in there. I know it's taking a little bit of time, but it's great. And nothing has really changed. Nothing has changed. I think it's only getting better. And we got to fortify ourselves going into 2024, ladies and gents. So I'll talk to you in a little bit and have yourself a good night. Don't go anywhere because you don't have to go anywhere if you're watching live. The After Hours programming is popping up. I wish that Abe and Cody were going live to do some After Hours calls, a call-in show. Wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe one day. But for tonight, you got some, quite frankly, throwbacks and some other things heading your way. So uh, enjoy, and I'll see you at 7 o'clock on Friday. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience all over the world. And now our super chatters, starting with Ray from NJ, Stostube, Jay Brits, all of our wonderful gold pillars. All of them. In fact, I'm going to release the scratching right now. The scratching has been released. There you go. Take that down. Thank you to our friends on Rockfin, and all of our Rumble Ranters as well. Tomorrow is another day. Thank you so much for tonight, and thank you again, Ashton Forbes. Go check him out. The link to his Twitter is in the description of this episode, and I will see you later on. Okay, Chief, take him away. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife.